0: He doesn't comment on it because it's not something he's conscious of.
1: Like many things.
0: Well, right. Yeah, exactly. He's not conscious
1: of many things.
0: He's not an enormously <laughs> conscious character. He's a little <laughs> bit head empty, but in a fun way. Yeah.
1: X-Men, X-Men.
0: In the 21st century, people mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world.
1: Only hope is
0: welcome to cerebro the x-men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of homo superior i'm your host connor goldsmith and with me today is returning guest nola fau editor-in-chief of women write about comics nola how are you today i'm doing great how about you I'm pretty good. Since last you were on our show, my show. I don't know why I use the royal we sometimes. Since last you were on the show, we met in person at San Diego Comic-Con, which was super fun. We sure did. While we were there, you won a third consecutive Eisner Award. So Mogotov on Well, (laughs) well deserved. I think that puts you in pretty rarefied company, right? Having three to begin with, but three consecutive, I think, is pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, three consecutive is, uh, it's like the first time it's happened in uh, comics journalism in in almost 20
0: years. That's pretty impressive. I was thinking about it and I was like, damn, if I were running (laughs) a comics journalism website, I would be starting to get irked at Wax."
1: Continued success.
0: It's like when Christoph Waltz won the Oscar two years in a row and everyone's like, again? We like him, but like, come on. (laughs) Spread the wealth a little bit. But seriously, congratulations. You guys do great work over there. And it's nice to see institutions like the Eisner Awards honoring outlets that are not as big. So keep up the good work. Thank you. We are here today to talk about Longshot, a character... I really like, but I know you really love, so I'm excited. Long shot for people who are not familiar was created by friend of the pod, Annie Nascenti, queen of all media and artist Art Adams for his eponymous 1985 solo mini series, which established him as a character more on the mystical side of the Marvel universe. But after that series chris claremont picked him up for x-men stories at the time annie was editing chris on x-men it feels to me like chris was trying to keep the character in circulation so that Annie's plans for him might come to greater fruition. Unfortunately, they did not. There was a second long shot series that was going to be an ongoing announced in 1988, but it never came to pass and in the time since he's had a pretty haphazard publication history the 80s is really the peak of his prominence in the x-men apart from madeline Pryor, he is the only member of the outback x-men that i have yet to cover on this show so i'm excited to check another box there Bob Harris, notably, thought that characters like Longshot and Warlock and other non-mutant characters complicated the X-Men in a way that was confusing, so part of his revamp of the franchise with the exit of Claremont and Simonson in the early 90s was that Longshot gets written out. Since then, he has had his most prominent appearances in Exiles and then Peter David's X-Factor Investigations, where... He's a pretty different character, uh, and we'll get there, I imagine, when we get there. Of the classic team, he is the only one who has not appeared in the Krakoa era, though he has a brief cameo in the incoming one-shot in Mojo World. I think because, again, he's not a mutant, although there's some question marks there that we'll get into Longshot is a fugitive slave from the Mojo world, an interdimensional space ruled by the Spineless Ones and their leader Mojo. It is based on the worship of television signals from Earth and is a satirical send-up by Nesenti of the developing media landscape of the late 20th century. More recent storytellers have brought it into more modern context. Leah Williams, most recently in her run on X-Factor, modernized the Mojoverse as now a society built around streaming channels and Twitch and stuff like that, which I thought was clever. I feel like the next Mojoverse story will be about TikTok. It does feel like it grows with the technology. But Longshot is the slave who escapes. He is the messiah created by the engineer Arise to liberate his people, the bipedal slaves of the mojo world who are fashioned after the terrifying boogeyman of the tv signals that the spineless ones receive telepathically from earth as stories continue after nasenti's tenure it becomes clear that he is part of a tragic loop in which he has been intentionally crafted by the narrative of the mojoverse to serve as this messiah who eternally fails and is reset But when he first appears, he is a completely amnesiac figure who has nothing but luck, which is the power that gives him his name. He's named Longshot by a wilderness survivalist he meets early in his journey on Earth. Longshot has the power to manipulate probability. He does it somewhat unconsciously in the way that Domino does, but he also can do it on purpose. He can tilt the scales in a way that Domino can't. The downside to that is that when he pushes it too far in a lucky direction, he creates bad luck to counterbalance it for himself. And... If he creates good luck for a purpose that is not moral or that is selfish or otherwise not a good use of his power, it will rebound on him in bad ways in sort of a monkey's paw kind of way. So that's the basic rundown. Once he moved to X-Men, he became the love interest of Dazzler and served through most of the Outback period before departing for places unknown and then getting written out in the early 90s. Nola... What is your relationship to this character? What do you love about Longshot? Why was Longshot one of the first names you suggested to me when I first asked if you wanted to come on this show?
1: So I, I think I mentioned last time I was here that uh, I came up on the Outback X-Men. Mm-hmm. That was like the the formative era that I, I had. My cousin gave me a bunch of comics when I was a kid and gave like, me the complete Outback run up to and including like the little Shi'ar jaunt and then the. 1991 reboot so he was part of all of that and then uh, i actually didn't read his miniseries until later um, so i was familiar with him as an x-men member first and i was like hey you know like what is this guy um and at first i just liked that he was a lighthearted counterbalance to the x-men at the time uh because Uh, the Outback era is a rough time for the X-Men and a lot of them are really going through it. And then you've got this guy who is not as familiar with earth or earth's customs and he's just kind of happy go lucky and having fun. And there's just an air of innocence and it's, it's just fun. I don't know. He's kind of, he's kind of like a point of view character in the way that, uh, Claremont often used Kitty Pride or mm-hmm. other characters like that.
0: And it's notably in the period when that character no longer exists. It's a brief yeah. window in Claremont's run. After Kitty Pride is introduced, there pretty much always is that character because it's Kitty or Jubilee. But there's a window in the middle where Kitty is taken out of commission in the mutant massacre, which will lead mm-hmm. her off to Excalibur. And Jubilee doesn't pop up until after Inferno. Mm-hmm. There is this window in the middle here where there's no kid on the team. There's no like plucky teen gifted child who's going to be the reader's proxy. I would say the two characters who fulfill that function in the Outback period are Longshot and Madeline Pryor. Mm hmm long shot is naive is innocent in a way that counterbalances as you sort of put it the darkness that had overtaken the franchise since 210 in mutant massacre there is a sense that the x-men have lost their innocence Mm -hmm. if you look at the team makeup around this time Colossus is the most pure of them, but in The Mutant Massacre, he felt compelled to kill. Mm -hmm. He is having a crisis of faith about himself. Even he has been led to the darkness in a manner of speaking in a way that would previously have seemed crazy. It's different from when he thought he had killed Proteus. He was very upset Mm -hmm. about that, but there was no choice. Yeah. He chooses to kill Riptide. And so he's reeling from all of that. He also is injured really badly in Mutant Massacre. So he's out of the team until Fall of the Mutants when Roma reunites him with them. That's her interference point because Colossus isn't supposed to be there and she changes the course of history by having him go there. Mm -hmm. Longshot, therefore, serves to balance out that kind of energy It's Rogue, who is still dealing with her Carol trauma and is a former terrorist. It's Storm, who has lost her powers and is still in that grim state of mind until Fall of the Mutants when she regains them. It's Wolverine, who is Wolverine. Betsy is new to the team and is bloodthirstier than most X-Men characters, more willing to kill.
1: Yeah, that's after she's had her encounters with Sabretooth, too, where he is, like, basically hunted her. Yeah. And so she's she's obsessed with becoming more capable and more physically able.
0: She never wants to feel physically defenseless again. It's what yeah. compels her to get the Madripoor armor that she wears through the Outback era. And then it's what compels her transformation via the Siege Perilous into a physical Mm -hmm. fighter. Dazzler is fresh off her career being completely destroyed and her possession by malice. Havoc is Havoc. Havoc. It's a (laughs) team of people who are not doing great. Maddie is a POV character in the sense that she is the human character we can identify with when the X-Men are having adventures and she's in peril and she doesn't have powers and she doesn't know what to do. She's the mm-hmm. Lois Lane or Sue Dipney or Candy Southern type of character. hmm Even she is super traumatized. She was just in a coma because her child was stolen by serial killers. She has been abandoned by her husband so far as she understands the situation to have taken place. It's just, you know, not a great time for her either. So Longshot is the only character who is taking things as they come, who is living his life in the moment. There's something very appealing about that. It's hard to imagine the Outback era without Longshot, even though he doesn't endure as a major X-Men character afterward.
1: hmm I think it's interesting, too, that he is a character from a media-obsessed story, and his powers are specifically set to make him the main character of that story's narrative. hmm For one, he is designed to look like an 80s action star. Like, he's very much got that kind of Michael Bean vibe to him
0: and at the same time because the mojo world is a little off kilter he has the hair of the guy from kajagugu yeah he's also a pop star he's also ziggy stardust yes this feminine masculine very of the time very of the 80s and the hair metal craze and all of that Annie has said before, including on this show, that she always saw Longshot as kind of a genderless entity or as an androgynous character and that she would have played with that more if she created him now. At the time, it's more about the signifiers that real celebrities were playing with, right?
1: Mm -hmm. And less Annie. She was always doing the most between Jesse Drake and Longshot being this genderless entity like...
0: Listen, she is just one of those people who was about it. Mm -hmm. She was living a life. She based these characters on friends of hers. It feels authentic in the same way that a lot of Claremont's characters who are in the LGBT vibing space feel very authentic because these were people they knew in New York City downtown. It wasn't a theoretical thing to them. In the way that some characters feel less authentic, Mariko Yoshida is a little bit much, but that's because mm-hmm. she is not presumably someone Chris Claremont knew. She is someone from movies that Chris Claremont liked. Like you know, it depends yeah. on what the the source of inspiration is. And what I like about Longshot is that he's kind of both. He has that grounding of the club kid culture that Nisenti was clearly adjacent to, mm-hmm. but he also is a bigger it's the media studies element right like it's that he is also this cypher who could be his art pop could mean anything right
1: no cypher's a different character
0: (laughs) (laughs) cypher with an (laughs) i to be clear What she said in an interview for Marvel Age was Long shot is the idea of stripping someone of everything that they are. I never read comics, so the idea of a hero to me was different. I couldn't think of it in terms of a superhero hero. I thought of it more as a conceptual hero. Not having a comic book background, I tend to come up with the metaphysics before I come up with the characters. I knew I wanted to deal with the metaphysics of luck. It was a concept that interested me what luck is, what probability is, how you could shift probabilities towards yourself. What are the repercussions of that? So I did a character centered around that idea. He's a clean slate. He has no memories, no past, no name, no nothing. In a sense, what I was trying to do was strip someone down to where he had none of the crutches that we normally have. Memory, in a way, is a crutch, or your name, or what you believe you are. So Longshot's Odyssey begins with some very basic questions. Who is he? Why is he here? Ultimately, he goes on a quest for his past and finds it in search of him. I really like that. And I like that the design Art Adams came up with. The thing that's so funny about Longshot is while he doesn't continue into the 90s, his aesthetic is probably the most important late 80s X-Men aesthetic. Oh, yes, absolutely. It creates the look of the 90s in a lot of ways. He wears a jacket He has a leather outfit. And Art Adams, who was famously critical of characters who would just procure items from nowhere, decided that there should be pouches and...
1: Yeah, he's got the full bandolier.
0: Bandoliers and stuff on his outfit that he can produce his knives from. The image guys, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, that aesthetic is so heavily born out of... Two things, really. What Art Adams was doing all over the place, including Mm -hmm. in Longshot, and then what Mark Silvestri was doing in Uncanny X-Men, which came to include Longshot. So you look at Longshot and Dazzler in particular in that Outback period where he's running around pulling knives out of his pouches on his jacket and around his boots and legs and things. And then you look at Dazzler in her asymmetrical unitard with a bomber jacket over it. Yep. And you're like, oh, this is Gambit and Rogue, right? Like, Mm -hmm. this is that aesthetic that we associate so strongly with the 90s relaunch. And, you know, the bomber jacket Avengers, there's a direct line from Longshot to that cover of The Gathering. So his influence is definitely felt. And I think that he is a really singular character in that way to the point where I know lots of people who've never read a comic with long shot in it, but who know the character. Yeah. And it's not like it's, From the cartoon. He's in two episodes of the cartoon. He's not like, a, you know, it's just that he's around. He's in circulation. There were action figures. There were, you know, he's in the Marvel Contest of Champions game. Part of it, I think, is because Mojo was such an enduring antagonist for the X-Men. And listeners, if you're a newer listener to Cerebro and you haven't gone back to the backlog, I would suggest before listening to this episode that you check out episode 32 on Mojo, which is an interview with Annie Nacenti. It's only about 90 minutes because I wasn't going to take up any more of her time than that. She's a legendary writer and editor. We talk a lot about her long shot miniseries in general terms. I just didn't do Longshot with her because I didn't want to ask her to read all of the Longshot comics people have written for 40 years after (laughs) she was, you know what I mean? Like, I never want to do that with a creator. People are like, when are you going to have Chris Claremont on to talk about Madeline Pryor? And I'm like, I'm not going to ask Chris Claremont to read X-Man. I'm not going to do that.
1: No, No. That's
0: not a thing I'm going to do. No, no. First of all, he will tell me no. But second of all, even if he was willing to do it, I wouldn't ask it of him. (laughs) It's more about what makes sense for those creator interviews. And that's something I I think about a lot. And that's why a lot of legendary creators have not been on this show. Because I try to think of... I mean, that sounds arrogant. I'm not saying that they're, like, knocking down my door to get on the show, but I'm saying I haven't reached out to some people in a formal way yet because I haven't quite figured out the angle on their episode. So, you know, that's just part of the format of this show that makes it tricky. I envy the ability that some shows have to just be like, okay, this episode's just an interview this week, and, like, it's gonna be about whatever. That's just not really how this show works, and I'm too obsessive-compulsive to do a weird one-off like that, unless it's for the Patreon.
1: I feel that. Feel that completely.
0: Anyway, so you were reading the Outback stuff. You yeah. were young. You were drawn to Longshot. He has that 80s action aesthetic. Michael Bean's a good shout.
1: It's a funny one, too, because there was a Longshot action figure recently. Like they did a new one, and the face sculpt looks absurdly like Michael Bean.
0: Don't you love when the face sculpt looks weirdly like. <laughs> The new Kitty, Pride, from the Excalibur three-pack is literally just Natalie Portman, which I think is really funny. I mean, you know, that's good casting, but it is just a funny... It's like...
1: Yeah. Hmm. They did a a Celine a couple years ago for a SDCC exclusive. I have that. Yeah, she looks uncannily like uh, Drew Barrymore.
0: You think? I hadn't thought of it that way. I'll have to look at her again. Drew Barrymore. That's interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's around the smile specifically. She's got the Drew Barrymore smile. See,
0: I thought it looked kind of like Anne Hathaway. The one that really gets me is I have the Emma from that box set. Also, it's Uh like the Hellfire Club box set. Yeah, I have the whole box set, but like I have Emma and Selena up on a shelf. Sebastian and Mastermind are on a different shelf because <laughs> yeah, I just you know, they don't need to be displayed with the ladies that I have on on my lady display shelf. Someone said that the Emma looks like Scarlett Johansson and I have been like unable to unsee it in a way that really hurts my heart. That's not good casting. She would not be good in yeah, that role. No. It would not be right.
1: I think a good fix for that is uh because there are so many actual Scarlett Johansson figures.
0: I need to just look at the Black Widow ones and be like, they don't look the same and I'll just move on with my life. Yeah, Yeah. there
1: you go. Yeah, exactly.
0: I don't see it personally, but ever since someone said it, every time I look at her, I start looking for it. I'm like, how did they see that? (laughs) So, you know, it's not... But Drew Barrymore, I don't mind. So that would be a funny thing to... I'll I'll take a look at the Celine figure. Did you just see Drew Barrymore on Z-Way, by the way? Because she was so funny. There's clips going around.
1: I haven't seen it yet, no.
0: I sent it to Teeny because Teeny is a Scorpio and I'm a Pisces and Teeny makes fun of like my very Pisces tendencies. Mm-hmm. We know that astrology is fake, but we think it's fun. Yeah. The Way and Drew Barrymore interview is just very much like two Pisces vibing because Drew Barrymore goes on the wildest tangents and the editor <laughs> has to like speed it up because then she's be like, shit, what was the question? And that explains <laughs> a lot about my show that you are now a guest on. I was going to say,
1: it's literally that feels like... It's like the conversation we're it having right feels now. feels like a cerebral <laughs> episode, yeah. So
0: I, I enjoyed that and admired that about um, about that interview. She also comes off well, which is hard to do on Z-Way. So uh, good for her. It's like, you were a child star. How do you feel about child labor laws? And Drew Barron was like, honestly... <laughs> I am not sure it should be allowed for there to be child actors, and I feel weird saying that because I love my life, and I had a relatively okay experience, but it seems like a lot of people don't. I was like, oh, good answer. Yep. Anyway, this is not a Drew Barrymore podcast. Why don't we just jump in, I guess? Longshot is a character who has a pretty major tenure with the X-Men, obviously. Mm Mm-hmm. So we're not going to go over every single issue he appears in because that would be silly, but I want to hop through the major stories and talk about them and get your thoughts and share some of my thoughts. Uh, I revisited the Longshot miniseries recently, and I always find like new things to love in that every time I go back to it. Mm -hmm. It's such a wildly dense six issues. Annie has said that she... When she rereads it, is always like, "Ugh, Mojo and Spiral and the Major Domo are the best part. They don't really show up for real until like the last two issues, and I kind of wish I." And it's like, well, that's the thing about creating something great, especially if you're doing it on a monthly basis, right? <laughs> you can't, you can't go back and fix it. But I think that Longshot's journey in the first few issues is really great too, even if. It's not the stuff that endured forever. His interactions with Theo, the suicidal father, you know, that's a one-off character, but that issue has stayed with me pretty much since I read it. Mm Mm-hmm longshot first appears in the first issue of longshot funnily enough he suddenly appears in the wilderness upstate and is befriended as i said earlier by a hunter survivalist type guy named elliot who uh, is the one who calls him longshot when he witnesses just how unreasonably lucky he is Longshot is completely amnesiac, has no idea who he is, where he came from, what he's supposed to do, but he is enough of a good person at heart that when he hears a baby has been kidnapped, he chases off in pursuit to try and stop the kidnappers. He finds that the kidnappers are Spiral and several other servants of Mojo who have chased him through the portal to Earth. And after the portal closed, have now found themselves stuck on Earth as well. They're trying to get back to Mojo World and Spiral intends to do that by sacrificing the baby to power a spell. Which is
1: very uh very shades of what Madeline Pryor would do in Inferno.
0: It sure is, and it establishes pretty early on that baby sacrifice works. The violent mother is one of the scariest things to pretty much anyone in any culture. There is something primally distressing about that concept. That's where Madeline factors in to the grand cosmology of things. Here, it is a different primal fear, which is child abduction. It's the Mm -hmm. shadowy cabal stealing your child for a blood sacrifice, which is not just... A scary idea, but is also something that was very mimetic in the 80s as a thing mm-hmm. that people were afraid of and that the mass news media was constantly reporting on. It was called the Satanic Panic, and it's back, baby. If you think yeah. <laughs> that's what all of that shit that you're seeing now is is just a revival of the same culture war belief that there are people who want to harm children in a ritualistic fashion fashion. fashion yep it's quite the entrance for spiral she debuts with a dagger poised to knife a baby right in the heart and you know what hits ever since so yeah. good, good i girl. mean if anything
1: like if anything she was taking it easy in that first period. she's got six arms can you imagine how efficient a baby killing right. machine she could be
0: if she had all those swords <laughs> at the ready that baby would yeah. have been mincemeat but as it stands long <laughs> is able to save the baby and get the baby back to its mother But in his naivete, he also befriends one of the hunters from the Mojoverse, a small dog-like creature called Gog and Magog, who he calls Pup. Mm -hmm. Because Gog and Magog is cute and small, I mean, cute for certain factors of cute. He looks like Snarf from the Thundercats to me. Longshot is just not able to tell that... Gog and Magog is evil, even though Gog and Magog Mm -hmm. insults him constantly and is like, I'm evil, just by the way. It's not a (laughs) subtle character. The name Gog and Magog, for people who are unfamiliar, comes from the Torah. And then later in the Book of Revelation, in the Quran, it refers to, well... That's actually a complicated question, and this is not a Midrash (laughs) podcast, but if you actually go to Wikipedia, there's a pretty comprehensive article on Gog and Magog. That's G-O-G and M-A-G-O-G. My understanding is that transliteration and translation errors over time changed Gog of Magog into Gog and Magog, like the idea being Gog from the tribe of Magog or whatever, or like a Gog son of Gog or unclear exactly what it was supposed to be. But the point is in the Torah, Magog is a place. Gog is a person from that place. It is an enemy of Israel. In the Christian treatment in Revelation, Gog and Magog are both places, and the people of Gog and Magog are armies that will rise up to ally with the devil in the final battle against Christ. The Muslim tradition also features Gog and Magog in the Quran, as Yajuj and Majuj, in a parable about tribes that were violent and had to be separated out from other people. There are Muslim scholars who identify Gog and Magog with the Vikings. There's like lots of theories. The Greeks thought that Gog and Magog were the Scythians, or the Romans did rather, uh, Josephus and whatnot. So what's the point? Uh, My point is that (laughs) this is a really heady apocalyptic concept that Mm -hmm. Annie Nasenti here renders as, like, kind of cute. Like, it's Gog Magog, like, you know, Mm -hmm. Tom and Jerry. Yeah. His father, Gog, is also present as one of the hunters. Magog is more of, like, a, a little mascot character. But if you are at all familiar with the Bible, you're kind of like, well, that's an ominous name long shot again in his naivete just thinks that's a long name that's hard to remember but i think you are a cute puppy like let's call you pup and you'll be my friend and constant companion and he's just like okay and follows him around the second issue is the one where I think the minis really starts cooking with gas because it's when he ends up on a movie set and meets Ricochet Rita.
1: Mm-hmm. Who, just have to say, looks an awful lot like Annie Nocenti.
0: Yes, very specifically, <laughs> is visually based on Annie Nocenti, is the greatest stunt woman in the world, and is on a movie that is very confusing as to like what the movie is. Is she's in like a jet pack and a Valkyrie headdress and like all this, but it's kind of an Indiana Jones movie. I think that part of the point is that the movie is like a summer blockbuster that is nonsense, and so it just has all of the it's it's a kitchen sink grab bag of all the things you might find in an 80s blockbuster mm-hmm. film.
1: Not another 80s action movie.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> He impresses everybody because he's incredibly agile. He's very lucky, obviously, and he gets a job as a stuntman as well, but still amnesiac. He's still concerned about where he should be rather than where he is, but he likes Ricochet Rita. They develop a friendship very quickly. It seems like... Things are going to be okay until we get the downside of the luck power, which is that using his luck to pull off these stunts earns him money, which is a selfish motivation. Mm -hmm. Therefore, at a critical moment, it backfires and he gets his shit rocked. He is apparently dying. The director, who is a real piece of shit, tosses him in the river. <laughs> like, because no one knows who that guy is. We just won't tell anyone. And uh, no one will find out. But it turns out that Longshot has a minor healing factor and also has hollow bones. So he floats down the river. And that is where he crosses paths with, as we said earlier, the father a man named Theo, who has abandoned his family because television has made him despair so much that he's going to kill himself. Uh, (laughs) This is a story that I I feel like if you haven't read it, us describing it is going to feel really crazy.
1: And like, the thing is, is that it is kind of crazy. Like it is as if you are used to X-Men comics, like the serial monthly nature of X-Men comics, long shot the miniseries is all over the place conceptually it has so much going on yes and it is honestly like I, I hesitate to say this because I don't want to turn people away from it but it is kind of a difficult read it's in that it takes effort you have to like really work at it
0: It's very dense. It's very weird. It's not an X-Men story. So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of X-Men fans skip it and just pick him up with the annual where he joins the X-Men. And I think that's a mistake because it is important context for this character, but it also... I mean, first of all, it's just a great read unto itself if you're willing to Mm -hmm. just galaxy brain follow it wherever it's going to lead you. But it also is such an important context for Mojo and Spiral who become important X-Men characters. So I think it's worth reading on that score.
1: And it's full of like little fun thematic things like this director guy in this second issue. Like, I don't think we ever get his name, but he's like... Decked out in a Captain America shirt with a Captain America clipboard. Mm-hmm. He's got this red ball cap on that's got a star on it. And he's all smiles the entire time until he's like dumping Longshot's body at the end. Yeah. But like, <laughs> yeah. We talk about how like Mojo doesn't come in till the end of the miniseries, but like this guy's a very strong thematic call to Mojo before Mojo shows up.
0: Right. His name is Hitch. We're given the name Hitch, but this is his only appearance. He basically is like, Well, I'm not getting accused of manslaughter, so we're just gonna dump the body. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. and except he's not quite dead. There's also to go back to the Drew Barrymore of it all actually for a second, there's a character in this issue who only appears in this issue as well who is starring in the movie, her name is Kimberly Price, and she was a child actress and now is growing older and is desperately trying to cling to fame, to her career. There's something interesting about the way she's juxtaposed with Ricochet Rita, who seems liberated by her work, Ricochet Rita is a behind the scenes person. She is not an actress seeking to be famous. She is a woman who has a career in entertainment that she enjoys. But part of that is because the camera isn't pointed at her in the same way. She's not meant to be seen as an object in the same way. Mm -hmm. Nascenti's work is generally operating a lot of the time in the feminist frameworks of the 1980s and i think that there's definitely something going on there where like the woman who has been objectified is suffering and the woman who has chosen to be a subject who wants to do these stunts the thrill seeker herself rather than the thing to be gazed upon Mm -hmm. is happier and is more fulfilled That said, Ricochet Rita suffers enormously over the course of this miniseries. She is struck down pretty hard for the grave sin of being kind to Longshot. Once Mojo is able to discern that Rita is someone Longshot cares about, Well, that's going to be trouble for her. But in that way, it also serves as commentary on the 80s action heroes that you were talking about earlier. She becomes... The girlfriend who gets tortured and kidnapped by mm-hmm. the bad guy.
1: By mere proximity to Longshot.
0: Right. And she's not even his girlfriend. Like they're not yeah. even actually together. By the end, it seems like they're going to be. And that's when she makes the executive decision to join him to go back to the Mojo world and attempt to liberate the slaves. But before that, Not to get ahead of ourselves. There's a thing where Spiral tries to use diamonds as a focus instead of the baby to get back to Mojo World. And so there's a fight between her and Longshot at a power plant involving the diamonds because he wants to get the diamonds because he comically misunderstood something. <laughs> so <laughs> that's in issue three. And then after that is when Mojo decides to show up himself and arrives with like, Spiral, goes and gets him. And it's the first time Mojo has set foot on Earth. We see immediately that Mojo's very presence has an anti-life aura that rots and decays all living things around him because his presence is so poisonous that earth can't abide it which is something that hasn't been used always with the character when he turns up on earth and i think should be used like i think it's something that that should be referenced when he is outside of his intrinsically corrupted mojoverse space the idea that his influence on the world around him is so corrupting and destructive that a butterfly drops dead or whatever or like he creates (laughs) a crop circle by walking through a field that is cool.
1: Well, and it sets him up as an op- as an opposite to Longshot, too, because isn't that kind of what Longshot's luck powers are doing?
0: Right, because Longshot pulls the luck in and then uh-huh. it drains the luck from other things, right? If you are the star of the story, what does that do to the people around you? Like Rita. Yeah. If Longshot pulled all the luck in, well, suddenly Rita gets real unlucky, right? There's something to that, too, there's the sense that this new media, this devotion to product over artistry, because the film again that they're working on is not the Shawshank Redemption, you know what like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's a popcorn movie that's being made for money. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting thing to do in a superhero comic. I mean, the number one critique made of the superhero genre today is that it has a chokehold on film and television. Mm-hmm. And that the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe has made it much harder to get funding for arthouse films or for More grounded pictures, or for anything that isn't a big CGI extravaganza that will do well in the summer and play well overseas because you don't really need to know the language to enjoy it. Like it's easy to Mm -hmm. dub because it's mostly things going boom. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you agree with that critique, it is a critique that's been going on a long time about all sorts of films. And this is a good look back at the discourse that was happening at the time. Nisenti is just very prescient in a lot of ways with this story. Mojo also recalls, while occurring previously, figures like Brian Singer, like Harvey Weinstein, like these directors Mm -hmm. and producers who are predators, who are people seeking out the weak to abuse and drain Mm them of their life force. Now, of course, that was always happening in Hollywood. You can go to old Hollywood stories that are truly horrendous, but it's something that really ramped up in the 90s, it seems to me, and that is right after this era. And it's sort of like Nisenti saw, I mean, she was a journalist before she was a comics writer. She was in media herself. And I can only imagine being a female journalist in the early 80s as a young woman in your 20s what that environment would be like so oh, yeah you know i'm sure she's channeling some of her own stuff there what i find most interesting about mojo though is that he's gay in terms of how she frames him we talked about that on her episode it's not in such a way where it's like gayness is bad it's just he is that he's like also a theater director like he's also that sort of like camp yes you could see, like, Paul Lind voicing this character or Harvey Firestein voicing this character. Harvey Firestein mm-hmm. is always my mental mojo. And there's an added layer there that's interesting because, I mean, maybe this is just a topic that interests me, but the way that gay men can objectify women is also potentially harmful. And so for Rita to become an object to him and for Spiral to be an object to him is also interesting to me and it ties into the idea that Longshot, his star is a sort of grecian youth right like it's that mm-hmm. pasolini type thing speaking of like gay directors with some problematic <laughs> personal lives you know the idea that He is beyond gender. He is this perfect object for Mojo to torture again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Mm -hmm. again. There's something really fascinating about that to me. Yeah. In the issues that follow, Rita is captured by Mojo and Spiral, who drag her away to do horrible, horrible things to her. See the Spiral episode, which is Rita Wayward featuring Jordan Block for the Three people who listen to this podcast who have not listened to that episode, I guess. (laughs) Um, (laughs) While that's all happening, Longshot encounters two people whose true allegiances surprise him. One is Quark, one of the Mojo people, a guy with the head of a ram, who it turns out is actually on his side versus Pup, Gog and Magog, who turns out to be evil, which is not surprising to the reader, but is very surprising and very hurtful to Longshot. Gog and Magog reveals that he is a mystical battery, again, Mm -hmm. in a way not unlike the way Longshot and Mojo absorb energy from the ambient world around them. Gog and Magog grows to huge size by absorbing magical energy, resonance and it makes him angrier and angrier and more bent on fighting longshot and longshot is so betrayed and upset about it that he ends up running away and leaving quark to deal with it which quark is like not (laughs) thrilled about quark (laughs) is a character this is a real testament to how hard it was to get action figures of female characters there was a quark action figure from toy biz that i definitely had Like, it was an X-Men quark. And, like, he has maybe, like, three appearances after this miniseries, like, in cameo shots of the Mojo world. He's not, mm-hmm. you know, but, like... I mean, I guess there was a spiral figure. You squeezed her uh, legs, and she spun her little arms around with the swords. Yeah. But, you know.
1: Yeah, like, pretty much all of the main Mojoverse characters got figures. It was It was wild how prevalent they were.
0: Yeah, they were, like, all over. Like, people loved this setting because... It's different. I mean, Nassenti talks in that interview about approaching this from the perspective of someone who was not a superhero comics reader when she was hired to work at Marvel. Mm-hmm. There's something special about this narrative that's genre breaking the minute that it arrives. And I think that's why some people find it kind of a tricky read, because it doesn't read like a superhero comic. Yeah, It reads like an academic or a journalist trying to reverse engineer a superhero comic, which is exactly what it is. Yep, Saying what are the trappings of a superhero comic and what can I do to make that interesting to me? Longshot goes to find Rita because he trusts her still and thinks that she'll be able to help, but finds that everything has gone to shit while he was gone. Her home is devastated by Mojo's anti-life energy. Her dog Saxophone has been viciously murdered. And Doctor Strange is there because he has been tracking the really nasty mystical signature that resulted the moment mojo and spiral set foot on earth Mm -hmm. dr strange was like whoa what the fuck is that over in greenwich village and like (laughs) decided to come check it out (laughs) whoa 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 whoa! i gotta go investigate whatever that is he decides that he will save rita no matter what and that motivation is pure enough that his luck powers return And he and Quark and Doctor Strange defeat Gog and Magog and Spiral and Mojo. The process of this fight helps him to understand the past that he has been slowly recovering in fragments of flashbacks that we've seen. He is the star of Mojo's movie universe, like the Mojo Mm -hmm. cinematic universe that is constantly running in Mojo World.
1: Right. The MCU.
0: Yeah. He's powered by these slaves, (laughs) these interchangeable, good-looking men who Mojo pumps full of steroids and has punch each other, but they can't really escape from the vortex of the MCU once they're in it. Yeah. So anyway...
1: What were we saying about What Andy were we talking, talking about? Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, but so, right. Um, can't imagine what that might reflect about our culture. <laughs> anyway, he remembers now that he's supposed to go back and free the slave culture that he hails from. It helps that he has met Arise, the spineless one who is not evil, allegedly. Confusing character. Later writers kind of complicate Arise in certain ways because, again, if we are to accept the later revelation that Longshot is the Messiah created to fail, what does it mean that Arise did that? But within the context of Nasenti's story, Longshot was created by Arise to rebel. He was created with the ability to feel and think and be conscious and sentient in a way that some of his fellows were not automatically and to have the power to wake them up from their servitude so in the end longshot decides i have to go back i have to save them and rita says i'll come with you we're going to liberate your people The point is Longshot's not human, I guess, is what I should Mm -hmm. stress. He's this artificially created being. He only has three fingers on each hand in addition to his thumb. He has these hollow bones. If you look at Art Adams' concept art, Nesenti specified in her notes that his spine should be visible if he has his shirt off, but that's not something we really see in the comics very much. Just to emphasize that the spine is an artificial thing that Arise created because the spineless ones don't have a concept of Mm -hmm. spines. They walk around on crawlers, like little cyborg spider leg things. Anyway, it doesn't work, whatever they were going to do off screen, because when next we see Longshot, it is in the 1986 Uncanny X-Men annual, where he suddenly bursts through a portal over the Xavier mansion, once again, completely amnesiac accompanied by a weird wave of sludge that spills out of the portal all over all of the X-Men and then disappears. (laughs) Everyone's like, that's weird. What the fuck was that? And in classic Chris Claremont mode, it is, of course, a mystical agent that involuntarily transforms everyone's body. So (laughs) in this case, it rapidly de-ages the X-Men over time into the X-babies mojo then kidnaps the ex-babies in an effort to brainwash them to his service this is at around the same time that many many franchises such as the muppets or scooby-doo were doing kid versions of their characters or baby versions of their characters you had muppet babies you had pup named scooby-doo so this is a joke about that the ex Babies. The concept, though, was enough of a hit that Claremont later has Mojo create cloned ex-babies who continue to exist in the Mojoverse and who ricochet Rita as his prisoner becomes responsible for babysitting, which is a funny scene where essentially Annie Nascente argues with editorial
1: Which, like, there's a great meta-commentary there, too, because, like, the story where the X-Men get turned into babies was such a hit that, of course, the Mojoverse picks up on that and immediately starts recycling.
0: Right. We better make that its own show, is Mojo's immediate reaction, right? Yeah. It all turns out fine by the end of the annual, obviously. What happens is like they then start rapidly aging up, but because they've been brainwashed, they're like evil, but it's all fine. After a battle with the new mutants, Mm -hmm. they come back to their senses and the corrupting influence of Mojo and his sick games washes off them. And Longshot, who doesn't remember a blessed thing, is left behind and decides to hang around because the X-Men say he can stay with them at the mansion. Mm -hmm. This is shortly after Betsy has joined the X-Men after previously being their house guest they rescued from the Mojoverse. So, you know, they so far have a pretty good track record with house guests rescued from the Mojoverse. Therefore, I guess it seems like a good idea to let Longshot stick around. Yeah. The thing about annuals is, like, it's not a thousand percent clear where the annual fits into the run of Uncanny, but... At some point, (laughs) it slots in, and by uncanny, like, 2.15, he is now on the team because Rogue has been tasked by Storm and Wolverine with taking the X-Men who were injured in the mutant massacre, Colossus, Kitty, and Nightcrawler, to Muir Island, where they will recuperate. And asks her to bring along the newest arrivals so that they can get some exercises in and train and work on team stuff. Banshee becomes their drill instructor on Muir Island. It's kind of a training montage sort of experience. (laughs) This is the story where they fight Juggernaut, who is trying to distract them from one of Black Tom's capers in Scotland, and thinks he accidentally killed Dazzler. Go back to the Dazzler episode. He's a huge Dazzler fan. He's really upset about it. There are nice mutant circuit moments here. Betsy is so creepy. I love when she goes, don't worry, Dazzler, I'll just take over your mind and shoot for you. (laughs) Allie's Mm -hmm. like, wait, what? And it's just suddenly like, just shooting her lasers. There's fun characterization for all of them The big triumph for the new X-Men, Rogue, Longshot, Psylocke, and Dazzler, is that they defeat Juggernaut. They're able to get the helmet off through teamwork, and Psylocke can hit him in the brain the way that Charles always does, Mm -hmm. and it all turns out okay. Okay. Then we get the 1987 annual, which is one I've talked about on this show a bunch because it's the one where the Citadel of Light and Shadow shows all the X-Men their hearts' desires. (laughs) Famously, Storm sees Yukio, which is something that people have discussed at length. Yay! Betsy tears away her own skin and becomes a warrior made of metal. So again, like the fascination, as we said, that she has with never being physically vulnerable again. Mm Mm-hmm. But Longshot doesn't have a heart's desire because he is innocent and has no avaricious or longing or selfish desires for the Citadel to play on. So he just starts growing and fading away and turning kind of ghostly in like a Kitty Pryde-ish way and then completely disappears. He comes back once Wolverine reaches the crystal and they defeat Horde and all, the day is saved and all of that. But there is a scary moment. It's a fun Alan Davis drawn issue. So you get mm-hmm. beautiful Alan Davis, Alley like screaming and freaking out because Longshot's fading away.
1: Mm-hmm. Plus you get that Davis hair.
0: Yeah, well, they all look incredible. <laughs> Alan Davis in the 80s and early 90s is about as good as it gets to be in any comic book. True. But after that, he's just hanging out with the X-Men until Fall of the Mutants. He is, as you said, kind of the lighter touch that the franchise needed at that time because Mm -hmm. everyone else is really going through it. He doesn't have any memory flashbacks the way that he did in the miniseries. It seems like this time Mojo really put the fucking whammy on him. Like he can't get anything to the point where he and Alex go to see Raiders of the Lost Temple, the shitty blockbuster (laughs) directed by Mr. Hitch, that Longshot and Rita are in as stunt people. And he says, there was a stuntman in the movie with the same name as me and a girl who has the neatest name ever, Ricochet Rita. Do you think we could meet them sometime (laughs) and be friends? And Havoc says, (laughs) anything's possible, but they're movie people, pal, so don't get your hopes up too high. Like, seeing himself on screen doesn't even jog his memory.
1: Which is also funny, because, like, Dazzler has Hollywood connections.
0: Yeah, it's true. And Alex
1: is just like, I don't know, Eh. I don't think that's possible.
0: We do hang out with a movie star. I mean, she is, at that point, (laughs) disgraced and, like, in hiding. So, I, you know, not... (laughs) not like an era where she could just call up your favorite movie stars and ask for a lunch but (laughs) it is true that it's not like they don't know an incredibly famous celebrity he also notably does not recognize spiral who is now serving with freedom force and spiral makes no bones about the fact that she fucking hates him and knows him very well but he can't remember her at all which doesn't Please her. <laughs> like, that doesn't make her any less angry. Listeners to the Spiral episode will know that Fabian Nicieza made retcons spiral into the brainwashed product of Mojo's torture of Ricochet, Rita. She is Rita having been transformed into a monster in Mojo World. That wasn't the intention in these stories. But when you go back, it is crazy that it wasn't, particularly because of a dream sequence that we'll get to a little bit later, Probably after the break, because I think what we should do now... Is talk about Fall of the Mutants briefly and then pause for the Stereo character file. Fall of the Mutants is not really a long shot story because none of these stories are really long shot stories. He's in the story because Claremont is keeping the character around, likes the character. I remember I've read that Claremont's initial plan for Excalibur was that he was going to send Kitty and Nightcrawler and Colossus and Longshot and Dazzler to England. Like that was going to be the team, I guess, with Brian and Megan you know, things change. Claremont's not a huge pre-planner, and obviously that isn't the way it (laughs) went. But Dazzler's a character he was trying to keep in circulation because Jim Shooter wanted her in circulation, and then editorial generally, after Shooter's departure, wanted her in circulation. Longshot is a character that Annie created that he was trying to keep around, but they're definitely supporting characters. It's never really about them That said, Longshot is a key member of the team during Fall of the Mutants and is one of the X-Men who sacrificed themselves alongside Madeline Pryor to be the Nine Souls in Forge's human sacrificial spell to banish the adversary, the cosmic entity, at the heart of that event. This all happens on live television with Neil Conan of NPR and Manoli Wetherell of NPR reporting. So the whole world sees the X-Men die as heroes. A fellowship of nine people sacrificing themselves to defeat an ancient evil, you say? Sure is what happens. Yeah, that is exactly <laughs> what happens. And only temporarily, because you can't get rid of him forever, but you can seal him away for a really long time, you know? And that's the nature of evil, right? They are, however, resurrected by the Omniversal Guardian Roma, who does something that is very interesting with respect to Longshot in particular. The gift that she gives the X-Men is that she makes them completely immune to all forms of recording technology. They cannot be photographed. Video cameras do not pick them up. Security cameras do not pick them up. This is to help them as they go undercover and choose to become a stealth operation operating out of the Outback. This is what begins the Outback era. But for Longshot, who doesn't know this, but who is a being created for the purposes of being a film and television star. It's the thing that finally liberates him to potentially be something more. Mm -hmm. The gaze of the camera can no longer be on him. He can no longer be directed because he can't be seen through the lens. There is something really empowering about that for him, but only if the reader knows his backs he doesn't comment on it because it's not something he's conscious of
1: like many things
0: well right yeah exactly he's not conscious
1: of many things
0: he's not an enormously (laughs) conscious character he's a little bit head empty but in a fun way yeah and that leads us directly into the outback. So I think now is a good time to pause for the Cerebro character file on Longshot. I will take you through his complete publication history from Longshot Volume 1 up through the cameo he made in Incoming during the Krakoa era. In the middle, there will be some interesting detours and uh, <laughs> then we will answer questions from listeners like you. I'll be right back with Women Write About Comics editor-in-chief Nola Fow. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. X-Men, X-Men The man known only as Longshot was a prominent member of the X-Men in the nineteen eighties, but has never been quite so fortunate since. Created by Anne Ascenti and Art Adams, Longshot's an amnesiac rebel slave from the Mojo verse, an alternate dimension derived from twisted interpretations of American film and television. Longshot is special, blessed with the power to manipulate luck so long as he uses it for noble purposes, and is tasked with liberating his alien slave species from their masters, Mojo and the Spineless Ones. After his solo miniseries concluded, he was brought to Uncanny X-Men by Chris Claremont, where he became Dazzler's love interest and a key player in the Outback era. Longshot debuts in his eponymous 1985 miniseries, where he arrives on Earth in rural New York with his memories completely wiped. He's named Longshot by a survivalist who witnesses his luck power, and spends much of the miniseries pursued by slave catchers from the Mojiverse, led by the time dancer Spiral. Stumbling onto a movie set, he befriends the stuntman Ricochet Rita, but an injury on set leads the unscrupulous director to abandon him unconscious in a river. His alien anatomy enables him to survive, and he battles Spiral and her minions once again. Throughout the story, he also befriends a creature called Gog and Magog, whom he calls Pup, and is too naive to realize that Pup is working for Mojo. When Mojo is brought to Earth himself by Spiral, they kidnap and torture Ricochet Rita, forcing her to perceive the full chaos of the Wild Ways. Longshot reels from the inevitable betrayal of his pup, and flees to find Rita, only to discover her in a catatonic fugue state. With the help of his creator Arise, a traitor among the Spineless Ones, and Doctor Strange, Longshot's able to help Rita recover and defeat Mojo and Spiral. Arise reveals he created Longshot with free will intentionally in the hopes that he would liberate his people. His memories mostly restored, Longshot resolves to return to the Mojoverse and fulfill his destiny. Rita decides to accompany him as the miniseries concludes in early 1986. Late that year, Longshot moves to Chris Claremont's Uncanny X Men, first appearing in that year's annual. Abruptly transported to Earth again, once again with no memories, he lands at the Xavier Mansion, accompanied by a wave of viscous liquid that begins transforming him and the X Men into children. Once they regress into X babies, Mojo brainwashes them into his service while re aging them. But the new mutants are able to knock them back to their senses. Longshot's invited to stay with the team as the recent mutant massacre has severely depleted their numbers. As the story continues with issue 215, Storm tasks Rogue with bringing the injured to Muir Island, where the team's newest members, Rogue, Psylocke, Dazzler, and Longshot will trade in combat with X-Men alumnus Banshee. While they're in Scotland, the four team up to defeat the Juggernaut. Longshot's mostly a supporting character in Uncanny X-Men, presumably kept around so that the character remained in circulation for a sequel to Nascente Adams's Adams' miniseries. His tabula rasa innocence bemuses some of his teammates, but he quickly bonds with Dazzler and Rogue. Dazzler's horrified in the 1987 annual when a supernatural force granting the X-Men's heart's desires causes Longshot to temporarily fade out of existence, as he has no desires of his own. In the 1988 franchise-wide event Fall of the Mutants, Longshot is one of the nine souls to sacrifice himself for Forge's spell to banish the cosmic being called the Adversary. Alongside the other X-Men and their friend Madeline Pryor, he's resurrected by the Omniversal Guardian Roma, and Storm and Wolverine activate Plan Omega. They'll allow the world to believe they're dead, the better to catch their foes unawares. They begin operating in secret out of a base in the Australian outback, which they claim after defeating its current tenants, the cyborg terrorists called the Reavers. Longshot discovers the Reavers' treasure hoard, and his other superhuman power, the psychometric ability to read the history of objects, nearly overwhelms him. Teaming up with Psylocke and her telepathy, he's able to discern all the victims from whom the objects were stolen. And in a cute Christmas special story, the X-Men and their new ally, the teleporter Gateway, are able to return all the stolen property on the night of Christmas Eve. By the end of the year, as the franchise-wide event Inferno begins, Longshot has entered into a romantic relationship with Dazzler, but frustrates her by continuing to flirt with Rogue. In his innocence, he does not understand the concept of romantic monogamy, and he's frustrated by Alison's taking a claim over him. While he's ruminating over his personal life during the demonic invasion of New York City, Longshot is bitten by the demon Nastir and infected with malevolent intent. He becomes arrogant and aggressively sexual, much to the delight of Dazzler, who's also been corrupted by the magic of Limbo. Eventually, they turn on their friends to serve Madeline Pryor, who's been twisted into the Goblin Queen, but Longshot's powers and will to live begin to fade as he continues to perform immoral acts. Psylocke's able to rouse him from his despair, and he casts one lucky shot that helps the X-Men and X-Factor strike true and defeat the Goblin Queen. He refuses to go with his friends, though, and only rejoins the team when he comes to their rescue in the ruins of the Xavier Mansion to battle Mr. Sinister and Malice. After the Inferno concludes in 1989, the X-Men return to the Outback, but only a few issues later, Rogue is pushed through the seas perilous during a battle, leaving Longshot deeply depressed. He begins having nightmares about Spiral, Mojo, and the women he's loved—Dazzler, Rogue, and Ricochet Rita, whom he cannot remember— he realizes he will never be a real person until he reclaims his memories. Bidding farewell to Storm, he departs the X-Men for parts unknown. In reality, he was meant to begin appearing in a new Longshot ongoing solo series by N. Nesenti and Art Adams, but for whatever reason, the book never materialized. Three years later, after the departure of Chris Claremont from the X-Men franchise, Longshot returns in Adjectiveless X-Men number 5, with all his memories restored. He's once again pursued by Spiral and the rest of Mojo's minions, and seeks out Dazzler and her friend Lila Cheney for help. This time, it's Dazzler who has amnesia, as a result of passing through the siege perilous, and she's unable to remember Longshot. Still, she and Lila agree to help him, but Lila's teleportation power is hijacked by Mojo's major domo, and they're all cast into the Mojoverse. Dazzler begins to regain her memories by proximity to Longshot, and after Longshot and Lila are captured by Mojo, Dazzler escapes to Earth to get the X-Men's help. Mojo manages to entrap most of the X-Men's blue team with his brainwashing, and forces them all to reenact The Wizard of Oz. Professor Xavier is able to free the X-Men from Mojo's influence, and Longshot is apparently able to kill Mojo once and for all, liberating the slaves and freeing the whole dimension. He entrusts leadership to Mojo 2, the sequel, a clone of Mojo whom Mojo considered defective because he feels empathy. Professor Xavier reveals to Dazzler and Longshot that Dazzler is pregnant, and Longshot suggests the name Shatterstar. The two decide to remain in Mojo World to help with the transfer of power. Longshot makes only sporadic appearances through the 1990s. Eventually, Mojo 2 reveals himself to be just as evil as Mojo 1, necessitating Longshot and Dazzler team up with Spiral to defeat him. Shortly thereafter, Mojo somehow returns and seizes control of his domain once more. Later, Longshot turns up in Jeff Loeb's run on X-Force to help save a wounded Shatterstar with knowledge of Mojo World mysticism. In a 1998 Longshot one-shot by James DeMatteis, Longshot's killed in battle with a creature called Thingy, but denied heaven because he's become impure. He finds himself alive in Kansas, where he teams up with a girl named Betty and a group of mental patients to purify Thingy with the power of friendship. This is a weird one. He sets off to New York to find the X-Men, but never arrives. In the 2001 event, Eve of Destruction, Dazzler reveals to the X-Men that untold disaster rages in the Mojoverse, and Longshot has apparently been killed. Jean Grey notices with her telepathy that Dazzler is no longer pregnant, but chooses not to comment. Two years later, Longshot returns in the pages of Judd Winnick's Exiles, where he's a deeply depressed prisoner in Mojo's dungeons after another failed rebellion. The Exiles are able to convince him to take to the fight again. Over 50 issues later, with the book now written by Tony Bedard, Longshot returns in Exile 73 as the Exiles seek help in their ongoing battle with the reality warper Proteus. They cut a deal with Mojo to secure Longshot's services for the team, as Longshot has once again failed in his revolution and is once again an amnesiac slave. He serves with the Exiles until the 2007 crossover X-Men Die by the Sword, written by Chris Claremont, in which the Exiles team up with Excalibur to battle the forces of Merlin. Dazzler, now a member of Excalibur, is devastated when Longshot cannot remain remember her, but after she's injured in combat, his memories slowly begin to return. Longshot decides to leave the exiles and try to rebuild his life on Earth with Dazzler. Some months later, he begins appearing in Peter David's X-Factor Investigations, where we learn he and Dazzler weren't able to make it work. His memory loss was too difficult for them to overcome. After some confusion caused by a scroll imposter who takes his form, Longshot ends up joining X-Factor to help them rescue the adaptive mutant Darwin. Go back to the Darwin episode for more on this one. After succeeding in that mission, Longshot decides to remain with the detective agency. When the others begin to notice that he and teammate Shatterstar have some sort of connection, Longshot works to prevent them from figuring out what it is. After a brief reunion with Dazzler, a conflict with the goddess Hela in Las Vegas, and a temporary coma, don't worry about it, Longshot uses his psychometry to reveal the truth of Lorna Dane's childhood and revisit the moment when she accidentally killed her parents with her mutant powers. Toward the end of the series, it's revealed that, in a complex time loop, Shatterstar arrived in the Mojo world's past, where his DNA was used as a template by Arise to create Longshot in the first place. He was then born to Longshot and Dazzler and sent into the future with his parents' memories erased. After the end of X Factor, Longshot stars in the 2014 miniseries Longshot Saves the Marvel Universe, written by Christopher Hastings. Broke in New York, he uses his luck power to secure food, a selfish motive which backfires into a huge explosion. Longshot's reckless use of his luck powers attracts the attention of the cosmic entity, the In Betweener, who seeks to destroy him. When Longshot uses a cosmic cube to erase the In Betweener from reality, it creates a horrific alternate timeline. Longshot works to restore the timeline and offers to let the In Betweener destroy him in penance, but the In Betweener takes the Cosmic Cube instead. This mini is cute and probably the best Longshot story after his 80s heyday. In the 2015 company-wide event Axis, Longshot is one of the many heroes to have his morality reversed by a spell and temporarily turn into a villain. Do not Worry about it. His next major role is in the 2017 crossover Mojo Worldwide, in which Longshot foments a new rebellion on Mojo World using a rival video channel. This provokes Mojo into attacking Earth, where he forces the X-Men into various televised scenarios reliving their greatest adventures. But Longshot is able to lead the heroes to Mojo's central command. There, Magneto and Polaris combine their powers to create an EMP pulse that destroys Mojo's tech on Earth. In 2019, Longshot appears in the Domino solo series written by Gil Simone, in which he's deathly ill with a mysterious terminal disease that's made him volatile and dangerous. Domino is hired to kill him, but decides to help him instead. It turns out Longshot has become allergic to the humans of Earth, and medicine on Mojo World is ultimately able to restore him. The following year, he makes a brief cameo in the special one-shot Incoming, where we see him once again apparently in Mojo's service. What has become of him in the time since is unknown. But with Krakoa's hostile takeover of the Mojoverse in the pages of Leah Williams and David balzeon's X-Factor, it's very possible that soon it will once again be Longshot's lucky day. X-Men, X-Men. And we're back. I hope you enjoyed that. While we were taking our brief break to, you know, grab beverages and whatnot, I realized that I forgot to mention some of the other distressing things about Longshot's weird anatomy <laughs> like, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> things that i just think about like when he and dazzler make out and stuff one is that his skin has like a leathery texture to it mm-hmm. that is different from regular human skin and one is that he has two hearts mm-hmm. which is just fun to think about because Ali is just such a like Hollywood romantic kind of person that you could imagine her like laying her hand on his heart or something mm-hmm. and then being like, wait, and then moving it from pack <laughs> to pack like, wait, 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 wait. He also has a power that hadn't come up yet much in this accounting so far, but that we do see in the original long shot miniseries, and which is about to play a significant role in the X Men's first journeys in Australia, which is that he has. Well, I'll let him describe it. There's a Christmas special in Uncanny X Men 229 to 230, that is really lovely. Where he walks into the Reaver base that they are now occupying after chasing the Reavers out and walks into the treasure trove that the Reavers are keeping, which is basically like the hoard of the Dragon smog. Like it is piles mm-hmm. of like Scrooge McDuck's like gold coin pool. It's very silly, but it also features lots of objects that have emotional resonance to them, that people are missing, that were stolen, that really mean something to them. He walks through and suddenly sees these sort of crying ghostly figures years around spirit voices thinner than the faintest breeze i'm long shot. don't be afraid i mean no harm i'd like to be your friend when i touch things he says picking up a bracelet sometimes i feel images from them psylocke calls it psychometry perhaps by reading the history in this room i'll find an answer and the bracelet starts talking to him he starts hearing about the history of these objects With his own hands he made me, shaping me from raw metal into a thing of beauty, a gift for her whom he loved best in all the world. Yet I was torn cruelly from her, turning joy to heartbreak, tainting that love with desolation. Woe, oh woe, I was all that remained to remind her of the beauty that once was. Why am I not with her? And he cries out and throws the bracelet back into the pile. Stop it, please, no more. I'm not to blame. Why are you tormenting me? But after he gets a hold of himself, he realizes that these objects need to be returned. This story always spoke to me as someone with obsessive compulsive disorder who anthropomorphizes inanimate objects and believes they have feelings and needs to (laughs) deal with that in therapy like regularly. So uh, I, I get it. Um, But basically, while the X-Men would definitely benefit from having all of this treasure, Longshot in his innocent sweetness convinces them all that they have to give everything back. They begin teleporting all over the world because Gateway, who is posted up on his hill outside the Reaver's base, has been observing and is like, all right, you're a good egg, I'll do this. Gateway always seems inclined to help children, and in this case, that includes Longshot, who is innocent. He also bonds with Rogue, who is similarly not innocent, but naive, let's say, to the ways of the world. Madeline Pryor at this point has pretty much mastered the Reaver's computer system because she is a Claremont dame and is therefore great with a plane, a gun, and a computer console. So So using the computer system and long shot psychometry and Betsy's telepathy, they're able to track down everyone around the world and Gateway zaps them to the right places to leave the stolen items as surprise gifts they don't even realize until they see the new mutants Christmas caroling and have to hide from them to maintain the illusion that they're dead that it's Christmas Eve so it's a very sweet story and it's Longshot who is kind of the Cindy Lou who who teaches the X-Men the true meaning of Christmas with his sweet naivete did they want to spend all night dropping off bracelets in people's houses and whatnot. Probably not, but they did it because Longshot convinced them it was the right thing to do. He's not really a main character, but he becomes the focal point of a love triangle between him and Rogue and Dazzler. He and Dazzler are sort of developing something, but Rogue can't help but flirt with him cuz she thinks he's cute. Rogue also in this period is this is her like peak. I'm so horny but I can't touch. <laughs> Before it becomes all about, Remy, my love, we can never be together. This is before Gambit, so it's just mostly like Rogue really wants to fuck, but can't fuck. Longshot, who is a very non-threatening boy, who is not at all sexually aggressive, because he's totally innocent and wondering and everything.
1: Well, and because he doesn't want anything.
0: Right. He doesn't want anything from her, so she can feel safe flirting with him because mm-hmm. she knows she won't have to touch him, but it pisses Allie off because Allie doesn't like Rogue to begin with because nobody really likes Rogue to begin with, <laughs> which is one <laughs> of the funny things about Rogue and the is they're all like, could we get Carol back? We just like bang her on the head a couple of times until Carol pops back up, He helps them with the brood. He helps them in the Genosha arc where, like you said, he really is a necessary point of light in some of these stories. The Genosha story is one of the darkest ever in the Claremont run. Mm -hmm. And I think having a long shot there. He sort of serves the same purpose in a number of different ways that Warlock does in the cast of New Mutants. And it's no coincidence that they both exit around the same time because it's the 90s now and we're serious. And Bob Harris said, get rid of the aliens. But he is also an alien who needs to have everything explained to him, who has a childlike sense of wonder about everything, but who also... In a story like A Green and Pleasant Land on Genosha or Inferno or whatever, in Warlock's case Inferno, can lighten the mood by being fun and just sort of like a bright spot. Inferno, though, is where things start to go awry for a long shot. By the time Inferno starts up, he and Dazzler are officially in a relationship of some sort. We see them kiss when she gives an impromptu karaoke performance in the first issue of Inferno Vanities, which I love so much. But that is when Allie and Rogue nearly come to blows because Longshot doesn't understand that if he's dating Dazzler, he can't just like go rollerblading with Rogue and be hanging out with Rogue all the time because he's like, we're all friends. Why are you so upset? And much like Megan actually will later say to Brian Braddock about the love triangle between her and Brian and Kurt in Excalibur, he gets very upset at the idea that Ellie owns him in some way or has a claim Mm -hmm. to him. For Megan, that's because she spent her childhood confined and has always just wanted to be free and to have friends. And the idea that she's going to be confined by this man because she loves him is not something she can tolerate. He has to get with the program on that. Similarly, here, it's Longshot, who is an amnesiac, having a sort of primordial sense memory of the experience of being enslaved. Like he says, it's like, I'm not your slave. You don't own me. I'm not your property. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't know that that's his past, but This is the first thing that really twigs him, finally. Mm -hmm. And I think that's interesting because it's love that brings his memories back somewhat. And that's a beat that will recur for him consistently. It happens in the miniseries. His developing relationship with Rita is what compels him to remember his past. And repeatedly in stories after this in the 90s and beyond, it is his love for Dazzler that will bring his memories back repeatedly when they are wiped repeatedly because that's sort of his thing.
1: I think it's interesting, too, that, uh, like, just because you mentioned this parallel between Megan and Longshot, it's interesting, too, because they're both such media focused characters.
0: Right. She was raised by television and he was raised on television.
1: Yeah. And so, like, they're both they're both these characters that are designed to just kind of reflect the world around them. And it's fascinating that they're both like they're both so strident about their own agency.
0: Mm -hmm. And Megan on Excalibur serves that same purpose of the warlock or longshot in that she is the more light, innocent, fun-loving character who needs things about the world explained to her, is not as savvy about everything, and is not quite a regular mutant, right? Like she's the Mm -hmm. one who doesn't quite fit. But like Longshot, the fact that she is naive to the adult world doesn't mean that she's not an adult. And it doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that she doesn't have a fully capable mind and isn't capable of making her own decisions. This is not a Megan episode, but there's a great bit (laughs) in the Captain Britain MI-13 annual by Paul Cornell, where she flashes back to when they were first on the news, like as a couple, she... Could feel empathically people calling him a pedo because she seemed so young. She's like eighteen, and he's in his like mid twenties when they get together. So you know mm-hmm. there is an age gap, but it's not a predatory age gap. People watching them felt like it was because she seemed young.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Longshot is kind of like that here with Dazzler. It's like I'm not actually just a doll you can order around. Mm -hmm. I'm a person and I have to declare my agency. And Ali respects that once he says it, to be fair to her. It's just something that characters like this have to remind the people who they're in romantic relationships with and it's an interesting archetype that does seem to recur in X-Men repeatedly. And it's not to say that other superhero stories don't have characters like this. The sort of of fish-out-of-water starfire is very much Also, this sort of character, but there's something about it in the context of X Men that I like because of how much of X Men is a metaphor for adolescence and like of the mutant Mm -hmm. thing. So having these characters who are adults, but it's like you said at the beginning, he serves kind of the function of a Katie Pryor Jubilee while being physically and mentally a 27 year old or whatever. You know, like Mm -hmm. he's not a teenager, but he has that. Feeling. Inferno is where things go really badly for Dazzler and particularly for Longshot, as they are, unlike Colossus, who is incorruptible because of his purity of spirit, the X Men in particular, and this is never explained. It's just the X Men, not X Factor not the New Mutants, it's the X-Men specifically. And I think that this may, my pet theory is that it has to do with their personal connections to Madeline. And Mm that the influence of Limbo on her is also corrupting them. But in particular, Longshot as something of a blank slate and Dazzler as a person who craves the spotlight and attention and who longs for the status that she used to have before she revealed she was a mutant and was shunned from polite society they are the two members who are most dramatically corrupted by the power of limbo as it rages in manhattan longshot specifically is kind of freaking out and takes a second to you know zip around and gather his thoughts "'Everybody hurts. Everything I touch is screaming inside. "'Alison, most of all. "'Havoc said I did a wrong thing, seeing her and Rogue. "'But can't there be room in my hearts for more than a single person?' "'And again, the two hearts are, you know, part mm-hmm. of the, the joke here. "'But he is grabbed, as he swings by, by a gargoyle, "'who isn't a gargoyle at all, but is in fact the demon Nastir. "'What have we here? "'Never have I espied a soul so noble, so pure, "'so totally irrevocably torn.' dear boy, let me put you out of your misery and bites into him as he screams, no, the bite of Nastir infects him deeply in a way that the other characters are only surface level Mm -hmm. infected. He turns into the kind of hyper-masculine action star that he never was, right? Like Mm Nesenti's idea of him as this androgynous kind being gives way to a very sexually aggressive, very macho, arrogant character. What's a little disturbing about it is that Ali likes it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a very sexy page that I look back and I'm like almost a little amazed that it was like in... I mean, everything about Inferno is kind of shocking that they were under the aegis of the Comics Code Authority able to get any of this story through but Mm -hmm. the sequence where he basically it's very like blurred lines you know like (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know you want it it's like very that and they're like making out on the riverbank as he like holds her down and she's like oh all i ever wanted was for you to ravish me but she's also being corrupted her darker self is coming out
1: yeah yeah and and she's she's obsessed with attention and he's giving her that
0: right And it's finally the attention she's craved. It's what she's been longing for since Dazzler the Movie, the graphic Mm -hmm. novel, when everything went tits up for her. It's just really upsetting. And it's interesting for me, I think Inferno was the first story I read with Longshot in it. So when I went back to it later, I was like, oh, wow, this is so much creepier than I had realized it was when I was 12, because it's so not him. But you can see How it could be like a dark version of him because it's someone convinced that he will get lucky, that he will win, that he always is going to get what he wants because that is his power and because he is the star of the movie. Mm -hmm. So they fall under the Goblin Queen's sway and fight the other X-Men on her behalf. She also corrupts Warren because he's obviously very corruptible at this moment. He's just been apocalypse into Archangel. Candy has just been murdered one issue before Inferno, so he's in a bad place emotionally. He's just murdered Cameron Hodge to avenge her. Those characters turn on their friends. The funny th- one that I always think of is that she casts a spell to create permanent spotlights on Dazzler and Longshot to like make them feel like the audience is supporting them. The audience that does not (laughs) exist, but it works, you know. That said, the more that Longshot Corrupted by Limbo uses his luck powers for negative ends, the more his luck drains away, and he eventually sinks into, like, a suicidal depression, basically, Mm -hmm. even after he has managed to sort of come to his senses. And it's Betsy who comes to him because they're trying to bring an end to the inferno they need to figure out where to strike and Psylocke thinks where is the best the luckiest place to blast longshot could tell us he's good luck incarnate oh he was now even through the telepathic haze that surrounds us i can feel his misery longshot Psylocke get out of my mind it's ugly in here nasty and rotten and lonely i i can't help myself but you can help us i can't don't you see? My luck depends on my motives and they've turned as dark as my soul. I have no more luck. And she's like, "Okay, my dude, but like we need to save these babies, <laughs> right?" Like like mm-hmm. do you want to save babies and famously the first thing Longshot does on earth is save a baby from a demon sacrifice. So, mm-hmm jogs him back into the right state of mind and he's able to throw one knife that strikes exactly where they all need to hit to break through the force field and bring an end to Madeline's evil schemes. But Longshot is so burned by the whole experience that when the rest of the team go to the X-Mansion, because Psylocke is able to track Mr. Sinister there, he doesn't go with them because he's like, I don't believe that I can help and I think that I am now bad luck and I don't want to hurt you by being around you. That said, when Sinister and Polaris, who is at this point possessed by Malice, absolutely wreck everyone's shit, it is Longshot who arrives by himself because he realizes that he can help and he steps up Sinister says, ignore Longshot Polaris, he is hardly worth your effort. Kill the others as I have commanded. No! Come, Longshot, admit it. Polaris need not destroy you, for you have already destroyed yourself. You crouch there trying to prove how brave you are, but that is not a pure motive, and zaps him to the ground. (laughs) Your power, your luck won't save you, or them. How do you know? know the enemy. I've made a study of you all. I feared you all were dead and that I'd be denied the pleasure of killing you myself. He's right. I let myself be mesmerized by a demon. Under his influence, I did evil. My motives are fear and rage. I've lost my luck, and because of that, my friends will die. Sinister will destroy them, like Madeline and all of his other victims. He'll win again, but only if I let him. I can save them. I I must, and he takes off his bandolier and hurls it at Polaris and it wraps around her legs and sends her collapsing to the ground. It's a fun little triumphant moment for Longshot. He basically keeps Polaris and Sinister busy until everyone else is like, and like wakes up. And then Betsy's able to sort of sigh, butterfly them all awake and coordinate a response. Ultimately, Scott blows Sinister the fuck up with his optic blast. But Sinister gets better for the 90s. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Go back to the Mr. Sinister episode. That is the end of the Inferno crossover. The X-Men return to the Outback, but now everybody knows they're alive. So it's a slightly different status quo. Longshot has had this moment of triumph, but he's still not at 100% and is still sort of feeling the darkness of the Inferno. And when they fight the Master Mold, don't super worry about it, mm-hmm. he's not able to do anything to help particularly. And that fight ends with Rogue getting pushed with the Master Mold through the Siege perilous. She's like, there's no choice. You have to push me through, you know. So as far as they know, Rogue has now been lost forever. She is one of Longshot's dearest friends. He's pretty despondent about it. And he starts having nightmares the nightmare sequences are really interesting there's one in 248 that i think of all the time and this is the one that truly makes it insane that the intention was not for rita to be spiral longshot in his dream sees dazzler descend from the sky in a coruscation of light they start dancing rogue cuts in and interrupts And shoves her arms through Dazzler. And Dazzler, like trying to describe this, you should it's this is issue two forty eight, guys, and you should just like kind of look at this yourself if you can on Marvel Unlimited. But like she pushes her way through Dazzler and Dazzler's arms attached to her sides. And Rogue's like, now it's my turn, and they start dancing. Longshot says, I don't understand. Go with the flow, Sugar. Ain't that what you do best? Gangway, says Ricochet Rita, who drops from Mm -hmm. the ceiling. This is someone who Longshot does not even know at this point. He does not remember her, right? And the crowd gasps with astonishment and delight. (gasps) Longshot gasps. As the star of screens, small and large, not to mention countless backyard fantasies, makes her latest conquest, and she lands on top of Rogue and absorbs Rogue. And now Rita is standing there with six arms, her own and then Rogue's in the middle and then Dazzler's on the bottom. He says, you're not an ex-man. No way, San Jose. Wait, you're the movie person. Ricochet Rita, stunt spirit extraordinaire. But there's more to you than just the picture I saw on that screen why do you have six arms? And Spiral says, actually, they're mine. And Rita transforms into Spiral. This is crazy. I had no, like, Mm -hmm. when I read this, I knew that Spiral was Rita because it was on the trading cards in the 90s. So I thought she had always been Rita. This is just a great example of the kind of storyteller Fabian Niciesa really is when he is tasked with developing material this has to be where he got the idea right yeah is this sequence of panels where she transforms they're mine and so Luxter are you spiral i'm flattered you remember me no less than enraged that you don't remember enough pathetic little bouncing boy toy depending on luck and charm to save you where did she go? Why does she hate me? I'm the dancer here. You'd know right. With, oh, those eyes and that deadly killer smile to waltz away to my heart's luck's all run out, long shot. She reaches then into his back and yanks out his spine, Mortal Kombat style, like the artificial spine that Aris created for the slaves. Mm-hmm. Let's see how well you prance the light, Fantango, without a spine to carry you. And this is the part that's really interesting to me. Longshot props himself up with his arms like Mojo, and beneath his waist, his legs turn into the Mojo spider machine. And he says, <laughs> Wretched encumbrance, <laughs> glad to be rid of it. And he transforms into a weird effigy of Mojo. And Spiral is really distressed. And it's like, No, what? Silly Spiral, twisted so tight. You forgot, for all the dancers art, it's the choreographer who calls the tune. Spines are for books too easily broken or burned. Flexibility's the answer, don't you agree? And he's doing Mojo tortures to her. He opens her mouth wide like Mojo did to Psylocke. Mm -hmm. Really scary. And Spiral starts to cry and says, never fails, should have known better, no matter what happens, long shot. And then Rita says, you always kill. And Rogue says, the one. And Allie says, you love and dies. And Longshot says, with Mojo glowing in his eyes, how can that be, my dead, decaying darlings? I'm still here. <laughs> Storm overhears. That laughter, so faint it's almost imagination, cold and cruel, beyond all comprehension. Gateway, who has perceived this in the Dreamtime, sends Storm to go talk to Longshot. The Mojo thing is just interesting to me because the implication there is that, like, Longshot was maybe destined to become Mojo. Right. That's not something that ever gets picked up on again. It's just an interesting... Like with all the weird time loops in the Mojoverse, that's something that it seems like was maybe seeded here or that he was supposed to become like the sequel, right? Or that he could. It's just a very disturbing sequence. It's
1: interesting to me too that it's, it's, it echoes so much Maddie's corruption at the start of Inferno.
0: Yes, right down to Gateway watching in the dream time.
1: Yeah, because Maddie is like, it's very much her and Alex having like a dance and a dinner date.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. He realizes all at once, when he's talking to Storm, that he isn't happy. Everyone I touch, everything, too, has a history, a sense of where it came from and why it was created. Where did I come from? What's my purpose? I do not know. Since your life seemed lived entirely for the moment, those are the terms on which we dealt with you. Somehow that seemed natural. That's it. There's nothing more. I've searched and searched, but this is as much of me as I can find. Is it enough, Storm, for me to be a real person? And he decides that he's going to leave to figure out who he really is. This is leading up to the Siege Perilous moment. The whole team basically dissolves. This issue, 248, is the one where at the end, Storm is apparently killed by accident by havoc during the battle with Nanny. It's a Nasty issue for everyone, but Longshot, before that happens, decides to strike out on his own. That is the last we see of him for a bit.
1: It's super interesting to me that Longshot leaves to find himself separately from the rest of the team as they're all going through the siege perilous, which is about reflecting who they are back at them. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that Longshot doesn't get that experience.
0: Yeah, he doesn't go through. There's a few characters who don't. He doesn't, Wolverine doesn't, and Storm doesn't. All of the others do.
1: Yep. Yep. And I think for Storm, it's because she's already done that in a fashion. She didn't do the Siege Perilous, but she had the whole thing with losing her powers.
0: She had Life Death, which was yeah, yeah. basically her Siege Perilous moment. And then also she then gets deaged by Nanny and has that storyline where she has to rediscover herself as well. Yeah, so she's having that journey with Wolverine. I think. Well, I think it's a couple of different things. One, it's that Claremont was planning to kill him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which uh, did not pan out, obviously. But it's also, I think, that Wolverine's mysterious past necessitated that he not... Like, if you send Wolverine through the siege, I think you have to answer the question of who Wolverine is. Yes. And Claremont wasn't interested in doing that, at least at this juncture, so definitively.
1: Yeah, there's that, and there's also Wolverine's whole deal back then was that he was... This guy who was just always around, mm-hmm. He was his healing factor meant that he didn't die. He was much older than he looked, and his whole thing was that he was a constant. Whether or not he wanted to be, he was there, and he, he survived, and he stayed who he was. Whether or not he could remember who that was was irrelevant. He was not allowed to change.
0: Yeah, absolutely it wouldn't serve his narrative properly. And I think right. that it's also important, like it's important for him to be the one who doesn't get it also. Because yeah. the rest of them all receive that clarity and he can't have that. Yeah, It's also important that he's not there when the rest of them are forced through in the confrontation with the Reavers because he misses it. And then he arrives to be tortured by the Reavers and rescued by Jubilee. More on this next week in the Jubilee episode. <laughs> but... It establishes a new path for him because Siege Perilous is about like the breaking of the X-Men to eventually bring them back together. His journey continues in a way that theirs are interrupted. Yep. Longshot leaves for a much more mechanical, specific, meta-textual reason, which is appropriate, honestly, given the trappings of the character, which is that it is now 1989 And he is supposed to be starring in his new ongoing series by Annie Nesenti and Art Adams, which was going to launch and presumably would have followed him out of Uncanny X-Men. It was announced in 1988, so people knew it was coming. So I don't think his departure from the team was itself a surprise. Mm -hmm. Nesenti said that every issue was going to toss Longshot into a new scenario where he was again a fish out of water. This one's about him time traveling. This one's about him landing in a mystical realm. This very cross time caper vibes is sort of like the sense I get, but probably commenting on different genres and different kinds of film and TV. And it would have been neat. It just never came together. It was supposed to be about him and Mephisto. Like Mephisto was the big bad guy who was throwing him into all these scenarios. And whatever happened behind the scenes, this book, I think that Annie and Art just didn't have time to do it or something I forget what exactly happened but she's writing Daredevil at this point and that's when Mephisto and his son Blackheart become figures in Daredevil presumably because she had ideas for Mephisto that she didn't get to do in Longshot but unlike some characters whose solo series get cancelled he doesn't go back to the team right he just is gone for a while he doesn't pop back up until 1992 after Claremont and Simonson have departed from the X-Men franchise. He shows up in Adjectiveless X-Men 5 when he arrives in Malibu at Lila Cheney's beach house where Dazzler, who now has amnesia herself because of the siege perilous in a bit of a switcheroo, has been recuperating... Long shot is like Allison, my love, you know, and she's just like, I don't know who you are. So that's a fun, th- th- this is the, I mean, it's not fun, like they're having a great time, but this is the thing that happens to them over and over is like one of them always has amnesia for the rest mm-hmm. of time, like they're always trying to figure this out. He arrives looking for Dazzler, and he enlists Lila and Dazzler's help because he's being pursued by the forces of the Mojoverse, because apparently he did get his memories back on this quest that we haven't seen off panel, and he has gone back to attempting to liberate the slaves of Mojo World. Spiral and the other Mojo warriors attack, and Lila tries to teleport them all away, but the major Domo hijacks the signal and teleports them all into Mojo World, where they meet up with the Rebellion, which is the Cadre Alliance. As they spend more time together, Dazzler's memories begin to return, because love is, again, the thing that Brings your memories back, I guess.
1: Uh, love <laughs> conquers all.
0: Yeah, right. So they get back together and they are, you know, in love again, but it doesn't work out. And Longshot and Lila are captured and brainwashed by Mojo and his people. So Dazzler goes to Earth in X Men 10 to enlist the help. Of the X-Men, the blue team specifically, who get caught by Mojo. He's just really ahead of the game on everything in this story and forces them all to reenact the Wizard of Oz with Longshot as Dorothy, which that's a funny (laughs) notion. It
1: is. It speaks to that subtextual queerness of him, the genderlessness of him. Mm -hmm. It speaks to the innocence of him. It's... A really clever play.
0: Well, yeah, and, like, Longshot as Judy Garland is an interesting... Uh Like, there's just something curious and strange and fascinating.
1: It's almost as though the X-Men are friends of Dorothy.
0: It almost is, right? (laughs) But, like, you know, this is, like, a Jim Lee and Scott Lobdell issue. So I don't know how much of this is, like... I don't know. Lobdell was doing gay stuff, though. He does all the stuff with Bobby. So I think that he was interested in teasing out some of that. And, obviously, the Legacy Virus storyline. So... Mm -hmm. You know, there's definitely something to that. Xavier has to wake them all up from the dream because, like Dorothy, they're now all in Oz and, like, they're all in. Most of them get turned into flying monkeys. Dazzer goes and finds Mojo 2, the sequel, who is a clone of Mojo who is muscular and better-looking and believes himself to be flawed as a clone because he has empathy for other people. It's very Warlock and the Technarchy.
1: Well, and he's got a spine, right? Because he stands upright. He
0: has I think they're like robot legs, sort of like Arise's. Mm. But yes, he doesn't live like the spineless ones, right? He he identifies more with the slave class and whatnot. He has been quietly subverting Mojo and teams up with the X Men. Longshot apparently kills Mojo, ending his reign of terror, and decides To give power to Mojo 2, who promises that he will rule generously and with love for all people and yada yada. The rebels shout long air long shot, which I love, instead of long live, like let the show not be canceled. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Long air long shot. Allie goes, you did it, and gives him a kiss. And he says, we did it to make this world a better place. And Charles says, just in time, it would seem, for what greater gift could two parents give to the unborn child I sense within Allison? It's like, Charles, Jesus Christ. Like, (laughs) privately, maybe. I just, (laughs) they're all, it's like, really? (laughs) Just FYI, you're pregnant. The fact that Charles Xavier is a human pregnancy test has not really come up again. Mm -hmm. But I think- that it should come up more often. I think that he should just be checking wombs casually for <laughs> brainwaves. This is where the cute little bit happens, where Longshot suggests the name Shatterstar to Ali. You just see it in the background. She goes, "Shatterstar, that's crazy," as like a name for their baby. And that is a seed that's planted that does not bear fruit for decades, but, you know, fans obviously jumped right on it because this is after Shatterstar has been introduced in X-Force as yep. a character from a hundred years in the future of the Mojoverse. Yep. What does that mean? And we'll find out later.
1: And what's interesting to me, too, is so you've got Longshot, who, like I said, from his creation has this kind of Michael Beanness to him, mm-hmm. and then... He starts his miniseries on the run, which is like, you know, going back to what we were talking about with, uh, with action stars and things like that. He is not depicted in the traditional masculine action sense. He's, he's depicted running away in the very first panel the ver- of, of the very first issue of his own miniseries. Yeah. And then he's jumping through a portal and ending up in this world. And then you've got. Everything that goes on there, but he ends up with Dazzler, and then Dazzler ends up becoming the mother to his kid. It's all very Terminator.
0: It's extremely Terminator. It's funny. Fabian Niciesa, when he was on the show, said he felt like Jim Lee and Scott Lobdell and those guys kind of ripped off. Well, he felt a couple things. He felt that Bishop had been a ripoff of Cable because Cable had been popular, so they just kind of did it again. But he also felt that all of the weird shit that they ended up doing with Cable and Shatterstar was shitty and, like, not the intention of the creators. But what's interesting is, unlike Cable, who definitely was not intended to be Nathan Christopher Summers when he was first introduced, here the seed is planted very, very early At the very least, the idea that we're meant to wonder is interesting. And we do get Spiral's prophecy in the X-Factor annual story about how Shatterstar is the one who will finally defeat Mojo. Mm -hmm. The rebellions will fail again and again and again for a hundred years, which is a pretty grim thing for us to hear when we've just seen an apparently successful one, right? Apart from, like, a couple little cameos and stuff, (laughs) there's that story, X force Youngblood, that takes place in the Mojoverse, but truly don't worry about it. (laughs) The, (laughs) The next time we see him is in a Marvel fanfare story by Jamie Campos and Stephen Jones in 1996. This story involves the rebellion, which is yet again going because it turns out kel mojo to the sequel is also evil actually new boss same as the old boss you could even argue that like i think it could be like sinister-esque like maybe when mojo one died like it activated a program in mojo two or so, you know like you know what it
1: reminds me of at the same time in dc comics there was a story where lex luther died of cancer that he had acquired from his use of kryptonite mm-hmm. and all of a sudden His younger, like his son, Lex Luthor II, who was tall and had long hair and and everything showed up. And Mojo 2 feels very much like that.
0: Mm -hmm. It's like a sexy Mojo for the 90s. And what's fun about that is that it like, I mean, right down to calling him Mojo 2 the sequel, it's the winking meta text. Mm -hmm. The 90s is about every character coming back as the sexy version for the 90s. You know, Mojo to the sequel is the ninja Silochification of Mojo in a sense. <laughs> we're back and we're hot. We're sexy. We're different this time.
1: He deserved a little one piece too. Yeah. I he should have so. gotten a sexy little one piece to
0: wear. He absolutely should, with the straps Do around the kicks. thighs. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I got in trouble once. I just had like a vivid memory of getting in trouble in kindergarten because I was doodling Ninja Silock. <laughs> she was considered very inappropriate by my kindergarten teacher to be fair that's because I forgot the one piece and I just sort of drew the straps like the ones on the legs like also around her body because I was five or whatever so it's kind of a sexy mummy vibe I guess but you know a little too naked I think for uh, (laughs) for kindergarten in any case Longshot and Dazzler are yet again in the Mojo world. I mean, they've been there indefinitely since this story at the beginning of the 90s because they were not involved in the X-Men relaunch. Beyond that, we see Quark again. This is one of those stories that Quark's in. And they're all fighting against Mojo 2's regime. Who saves the day but Spiral? We talk about this story a bit in the Spiral episode. It's more of an interesting story for Spiral than it is an interesting story for Longshot. But they managed to defeat Mojo 2 and depose him. And yet again, peace seems to be in the offing, except that only uh, like seven months later or something, <laughs> nine months later, Longshot pops up in the Jeff Loeb run on X Force. And we learn that Mojo, the original Mojo, somehow Mojo returned in a Palpatine esque way. <laughs> I mean, I think, again, my take is, like, I think maybe Mojo 2, like, hatched into a Mojo, you know? Like, that's just, like, my horrible interpretation of how that might have gone. The idea that, like, Mojo was in there and just, like, raring to climb back out and do more evil (laughs) shit. The fun bit here that is very in keeping with the original conception of the Mojoverse is, like, it's mentioned in this X-Force story, and it's an X-Force story, that the Mojoverse is worse than ever because Mojo is really interested these days in, like, the most realistic, nasty... Violence and like war movies and gore that he can do. So it's become even worse because the media is so violent these days, which is like a fun wink. The rebellion is faltering, but they do know that Shatterstar is the chosen one because of the prophecy that Spiral delivered that other people have presumably delivered. But While they enlist him and X-Force to help fight off Mojo's latest plan, Shatterstar is mortally wounded. This is what precipitates the very, very strange Benjamin Russell storyline that does not really make any sense and never really will. Uh, Shatterstar, as described by Spiral in the Prophecy, was to be the child of a human from Earth and one of the slaves created by Arise in the Mojo world. Once Spiral was revealed to be Rita, the question that's presented in this story is, is he Longshot's child with Dazzler or Longshot's child with Spiral? The implication in this story to me was that Spiral was Shatterstar's mother. Jordan Block and I deconstruct our feelings on this in the Spiral episode. I personally like to believe that spiral was like the margali sardish of shatterstar's childhood that he doesn't remember or something like that so like you know shatterstar has two mommies because we will come to find out that dazzler sure doesn't remember shatterstar so (laughs) you know it's complicated in any case spiral is the one who tells longshot and cable and x-force how to save shatterstar because there is this comatose mutant named Benjamin Russell on Earth who looks exactly like Shatterstar. And Longshot explains Among my people, Cable, there's a way that we can. How can I put this? Live on. I've heard it called a soul. Others say a life essence. To us, it is simply And Cable thinks, incredible. The Ascani believe in a similar concept. I'm like, yeah, everybody believes in a similar <laughs> concept. This is something every world religion has, but okay. And Longshot says, it's the greatest honor that one can bestow upon another, a gift like none other, both in what Chatterstar gives and what Benjamin Russell receives. So because of the weird soul transfer that occurs here. Shatterstar merges with Benjamin Russell. The idea that this is something that happens frequently or that can be done or that is like a great honor, A, never comes up again in any story about Mm -hmm. the Mojoverse, and B doesn't explain why Benjamin Russell looks exact. it seems like there's a very specific set of circumstances here that enable this to happen. So I'm like, in what other context has Longshot seen an Uemur transfer? And I just don't yeah. think that's a question anyone's ever going to worry about, so don't worry about it. Point is, if Longshot is Shatterstar's father, it doesn't come up in this story. It's just one of those things that's like weird little hints. And Spiral explains Shatterstar and Benjamin are the most important men in the world to her, more important than anything else in creation. And like, blah, 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 blah. Go back to Spiral episode. Jordan has an impassioned (laughs) monologue about this sequence. That's it for Longshot for a minute until he pops up very briefly in a one-shot by J.M. DeMatteis and Michael Zulli. This is called Long Shot. It's Long Shot Volume 2, Number 1. It's, a, it's again, a one-shot, so there's only one issue. This story is fully crazy. I love James DeMatteis. This is a weird one. Nola, have you read this? I don't think I have. No. It's super bizarre. I knew
1: that... I knew that he popped back up in Longshot Saves the Marvel Universe.
0: Yeah, no, this is like way before that. This is 1998. It's a one-off that's super bizarre. I had not read it before doing this show. He finds this weird creature called Thingy in the Mojo world that's trying to eat a tiny person and... And Longshot tries to rescue the tiny person, but the thingy explodes and they all die. And he's sent to heaven, but he can't get in because he's not pure of heart anymore the way he was back in the day for reasons that are not quite explained. But anyway, guess where he ends up? Kansas. (laughs) In a very, like, Wizard of Oz moment. He's like, well, I guess I'll hitchhike to New York and get the X-Men and see if they can help me with whatever exactly is going on. But the thingy creature is also resurrected and attacks this little girl named Betty that Longshot has befriended. Ultimately, Longshot saves the day with a group of mental patients who he breaks out of a sanatorium. (laughs) because betty gets sent there it's very weird one of them is a crossdresser in like a very 90s kind of way so i am just fyi to people who are reading long shot for like gender feelings that it's not ace venture a pet detective but i wouldn't call it like enormously sensitive in any case when the thingy attacks again he and the crazy people like Link their hands and the power of friendship creates a positive energy tornado, which reveals that the thingy was actually a being of purity and light that had been corrupted by trauma, which is obviously a symbol of Longshot himself, I guess.
1: And then in, an interesting echo of Gog and Magog.
0: Yes. It's very Gog and Magog, honestly. The thingy is red, even, like Gog and Magog. Uh-huh. I actually, I just met James and and, like, talked to him when we were guests together on I, I, Sarah Sentry And I guest hosted an episode of Grey Malkin Lane where we interviewed him with Chad Anderson. And I didn't think to ask about this long shot story because we were talking about Defenders mostly, but... I am curious because it's just so odd and who was it who was did he pitch I want to do a long shot one shot because like who was saying you know what character we really need to give a one shot right now long like it doesn't tie into anything else anyway after thingy has been turned back into his state of angelic purity and ascends to heaven or whatever. Longshot and the mental patients link arms like the Wizard of Oz and start tromping off together toward New York City, where they're going to like try and find the X Men and, and get help. I don't know that they ever get there because Longshot doesn't appear again for quite some time. Instead, during the Eve of Destruction crossover, Dazzler arrives looking for help from the X Men and explains that. (laughs) <laughs> the Mojo verse has been devastated because Mojo created cute baby versions of the villains from the age of Apocalypse. <laughs> Sugarman and Holocaust and the Dark Beast and Apocalypse. The age of Apocalypse babies rebelled and have destroyed the Mojo verse, and longshot is one of the many people who was apparently slaughtered in the massacre that ensued. She believes that he's dead. There's a bit in this story where Jean realizes through her telepathy that Dazzler is not pregnant. So something has transpired. The implication is that she had a miscarriage, but Peter David, many years later, will explain what became a Baby Shatter Star. But don't worry about it just yet.
1: <laughs> don't worry about it.
0: Exactly. That's it for long shot until... 2003 When Judd Winnick Uses him in Exiles This is the story Where we are told That there is only one Mojoverse It is unique In the multiverse it is outside time and space, and there are not alternate versions. So there are no other long shots, there are no other mojos. There are other spirals, but that's because she's constantly time traveling and causing problems. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's like its own.
1: It's like other worlds
0: exactly. It's almost a dark mirror to other worlds in the sense that otherworld is this like sort of classical land of fantasy. And then Mojo World is like modernity and crutch. It reminds me of kind of um not to take this to a place of world of darkness again after Kalzuna and I had to stop ourselves from chatting Vampire the Masquerade too much last week, but it's kind of like banality in Changeling back in the day, like mm-hmm. or the technarchy, the technocracy rather in mage back in the day. Yeah. For the kids. A tabletop game. No, they know tabletop games now because there's podcasts and things they listen to. Yeah. But no, just the idea of modern media and modern culture destroying magic or the way that Mojo creates his like anti-life field as opposed to the way Roma as Omniversal Guardian resurrects the x-men to reward them for their noble sacrifice and things like that i do think that there's kind of a dyad there that i never thought about until you just said that now i'm like (laughs) my brain's running in this accessory, Longshot has just flopped so hard at leading the rebellion that he's down in Mojo's dungeons and like is not even trying to escape Blink and her exiles. This is the Age of Apocalypse Blink. Do not worry about it. Eventually, in a Blink episode, I think in 2023, early 2023, perhaps, depends on scheduling with my guest, we will get to both Blinks because a Blink episode will have to cover both of them because mm-hmm. the AOA one is the important one, which is... Really annoying.
1: The 616 version is, you know, blank and you'll miss her.
0: Yeah, really. <laughs> I'm going to let that go because it, ab- it, it was good. So I'm going to let it go. But you're on notice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the Exiles are fighting Mojo and. It's very akin to Betsy at the end of Inferno, actually, like making Longshot believe in himself again. And they do that. And once the adventure is over, he's like, all right, I'm back. I'm going to lead the rebellion again. It's just sad because we as readers, if we've been following along, know that Longshot's rebellions will always fail. Mm -hmm. And I guess the thing that's important about that is that he always gets up and does it again anyway. If nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. It's that kind of thing against implacable odds. That is Longshot's last appearance until 2006 when he pops up again in Exiles in issue 73. At this point, Judd Winnick is off the book and a lot of people haven't read this part of Exiles because... um, it's not very good. I, I, I'm if i going to be like, <laughs> I'm going to keep it a hundred.
1: There's a rough time in the two thousands <laughs> for Marvel comics.
0: I'm not a huge exiles guy to begin with, but I think that it's fun for the first couple arcs. And I think that Winnick's run on it has stuff to recommend it for sure. The second that he leaves and on his way out, kills off lesbian Mariko Yoshida, I'm out because <laughs> she was the best character in the book. And I was just like why am I reading this? So I had not read most of this later stage exile stuff until more recently especially because it is not super relevant to this podcast but I had to go make sure I read all of it for this episode because it is 616 long shot because again there's only one right it's mojoverse long shot it's not 616 he's not so anyway that doesn't explain why there is a long shot in the ultimate universe but notably ultimate long shot and spiral are just mutants and mojo is just a guy mm-hmm. the ultimate universe for some reason has a mojo a long shot and a spiral but they are from that earth and are not from the mojo verse and there's no mojo verse which is again part of how the ultimate universe brought most of the supernatural elements of the marvel universe down to earth but is <laughs> something that doesn't make a ton of sense given the metaphysical need if if the ultimate universe as we now are meant to understand is part of the marvel multiverse it doesn't quite yeah make a ton of sense but guess what we blew it up and just saved miles morales so it doesn't matter yeah the- <laughs> well, i'm jimmy hudson i guess but yeah don't worry about that
1: because everyone needed uh what if Daken was boring and straight
0: everyone was clamoring for heterosexual <laughs> blonde dakin a character that we just can't get enough of anyway the one cute thing that's really cute because also ultimate long shots evil as shit subverts your expectations (laughs) i'm like this is why the ultimate universe blows is like i'm sorry i'm just at a certain point if you're subverting my expectations just to subvert my expectations and not for a good reason i remember they were like in this universe havoc's the older brother i'm like shut up like i don't care stop there's no need for this but i digress the one very cute thing is that in the Ultimate Universe, Longshot's civilian name is Arthur Sentino after Art Adams and Ann Nesenti, Sentino being an anagram of Nasenti. Mm-hmm. That's cute. His Wikipedia page has those quotes from the Marvel Age interview with Annie Nesenti. So I went and looked at it to grab those. And there's a bit that I noticed in the history of the page, or the talk rather, like if you try to edit it, Cause I caught a typo because here's the thing I don't edit Wikipedia. I don't have an account, but sometimes if I see a typo, I will do the, like not logged in fine. You can have my IP address forever. I need to fix this typo because I am a good <laughs> Samaritan. Yeah. So I was fixing a typo and I noticed that there's a thing that says under like real name or aliases or whatever. It says like, do not add Arthur Santino without discussing on the talk page. As far as I know, he's never used it as an alias in 616, but it would be cute if he did, because I do think that was a cute nod. Anyway, he pops back up in the later run of Exiles. This is now written by Tony Bedard, drawn by Paul Pelletier, or Pelletier. I don't actually know how you say it. I have a friend who pronounces it Pelletier, and I once called her Sharon Pelletier, and she was like, it's not that fancy. And I was like, oh, (laughs) my bad. This is during the Proteus arc of Exiles, where Proteus has been jumping bodies and killing people, because that's what Proteus does when he jumps into bodies. Uh, It's an alternate Proteus, to be clear, because the Exiles... Oh, for people, I guess I should explain what the Exiles are, for people who do not know what the Exiles are, because I don't usually talk about them on this podcast, because it is not a main 616 universe book. The Exiles are characters from alternate Earths who are plucked out of their realities and tasked with fixing timelines that have gone awry by mysterious forces that, of course, turn out to be evil. Don't super worry about it. They are led by Blink from The Age of Apocalypse because she was a huge breakout character from Age of Apocalypse. And when they ended Age of Apocalypse, they were like, well, shit, we should do something with this character. So they did. And it ran for like 100 fucking issues. And uh, you should check it out if you want. In this storyline, Proteus has killed Mimic, who was the male lead for the first 70 issues or whatever of the book, and is on the loose. So Heather Hudson, this is an Exiles version of Heather Hudson, who is Black and also Sasquatch. So she's kind of a combo of Walter Langowski and Heather Hudson, who's Vindicator, from our earth but instead of a white redhead lady is a black woman this character's cool i actually really liked her i remember when i read exiles i thought she was just much cooler than like the actual heather hudson from 616 that we have i was like can we trade because i would take this one (laughs) over vindicator who fucking sucks sorry to the heather hudson fans out there uh but anyway she's coordinating the exiles operations at this point sort of sage style from their crystal palace or whatever. She cuts a deal with Mojo because Mojo has once again captured and brainwashed Longshot into compliance. Heather believes that Longshot's luck power will counteract Proteus's total marathon session of kicking all their asses over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. She offers Mojo access to the Crystal Palace's Omniversal Panopticon viewing screen or whatever to help inspire his shows and whatnot if he will rent them Longshot essentially as a new member of their team so he's on the team for a while he doesn't remember them from the previous adventure which kind of weirds them all out but you know we as readers if we have been reading for a long time are used to that being Longshot's deal it turns out she's super right because Longshot's luck power makes him resistant to Proteus's ability to warp reality. You know what's interesting about that? Megan is the only person who can resist Jamie Braddock's reality warping ability mm-hmm. because she's also like pure of intention and hmm, now I'm thinking about it. Yeah. That. Now I want like the Longshot and Megan team up that's never happened. They would be fun. Yeah, they would. They'd be good friends. To hang out together. Anyway, they end up trapping Proteus inside the body of Morph, the Exiles Morph, who is the Morph that people will recognize from—he's got the Age of Apocalypse design. He's a Marvel snap card. He is the fun character on the team, and so the big tragedy is that he is killed by Proteus, but in a very creepy. This is actually this this is cool. Like when I say that by this point Exiles isn't very good, there's bits that are like. <laughs> What they end up doing is psychically lobotomizing this alternate Proteus into believing that he is Morph, and then Proteus Morph just continues to be on the team (laughs) with all of Morph's memories and, like, believing that he is Morph, and we're just supposed to carry on even though we know that Morph is dead, and it's, like, really messed up. It's dark. That's the resolution (laughs) of that plot. But Longshot just continues to be on the team. He's not... Super focal, but a reliable team member for the next 10 issues or so. And then Exiles is given to writer Chris Claremont. (laughs) And this is when shit gets fucking weird. So Chris does a storyline where on an alternate Earth, Sue Storm is Madam Hydra, which is a very Chris Claremont thing to do. Mm -hmm. God love him. (laughs) I mean, yeah,
1: like he takes he takes a prominent blonde white woman and makes her an agent of a fascist empire
0: into. Yeah, exactly. That's something that will happen. It doesn't go well. He like ends up sort of wiping out that universe by using his luck powers to try and overpower invisible Madame Hydra woman. And that creates a six month gap because Chris loves a six month gap because you don't have to care too much about what the writer before you did. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) this is around the time that Psylocke suddenly joins the Exiles because Chris wants to write Psylocke. So she is plucked out of Earth-616 in the middle of a confrontation with the Shadow Xavier. We talked about this last week in uh, the Shadow King episode. They all just continue to carry out their Exiles stuff until the crossover between Claremont's two books Exiles and New Excalibur.
1: Where Dazzler was hanging out.
0: Right. (laughs) X-Men Die by the Sword. Dazzler has been a team member in New Excalibur. Die by the Sword serves as the final arc of New Excalibur, but also is the pivot from Exiles 100 to the rebranded New Exiles that Claremont then writes for a while. New Exiles is maybe... Claremont's most insane mainline continuity book because it's not a mainline, like, it's you get what I mean. It's not X Men Forever, one of those where it's like it has no, like, there's 616 characters in this, but it's just Claremont creating successively more insane alternate worlds.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like, it's like cross time capers with the, with the, the limiters off.
0: Yeah, it's the cross time caper on crystal math. Like, it really is outrageous. It stars Betsy and Sage. And it just gets weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder. But anyway, before that is Die by the Sword, where Betsy brings the exiles to help Excalibur. Dazzler is like, oh, my God, Longshot. Because as far as she knew, Longshot died when the Age of Apocalypse babies destroyed the Mojoverse. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Back in Eve of Destruction. So she's like, Longshot, it's me, Allie. And he goes, I'm sorry. Have we met? Which <laughs> um they're classic. Take a drink. Drama. Longshot helps protect Roma because the Omniverse is in danger. Don't super worry about X-Men Die by the sword. I guess we'll get to this in a Merlin and Roma episode someday. While they are in the process of all of this, Dazzler is hurt in the battle, and Longshot, out of his inner concern for her that he immediately feels. Begins to remember a little bit of his past. He's like, I can't remember everything, but I remember enough to know that we were in love and that I love you. Chris uses this opportunity to write Longshot out of Exiles and send him back to 616 with Allison so that they can rekindle their romance, is the way it's left at the end of Die by the Sword. That just doesn't happen. <laughs> because later that year, he pops up in Peter David's X Factor. What to say about Longshot in X Factor? Um, Nola, do you have thoughts?
1: Um, My thoughts are that I do not like Peter David in any capacity, and I avoid reading his work.
0: Okay, well, um, <laughs> here's what I'll say. I don't really want to ride Peter David too hard right now on this podcast because he has had some sure pretty terrible health crises in the last month. So, out of respect, because obviously I have a lot of problems with Peter David's work, particularly on this book X Factor Investigations, and also with things that he has said that have been discussed on this podcast. But I wish him good health and recovery and all that. And I don't want to, you know, kick the guy while he's down. So I don't want to dig too deep into this. What I will say is that he writes Longshot as like a gross machismo perv kind of character Mm -hmm. in a way that is insane and is like he had never read a Longshot comic ever. Very, very bizarre. It's similar to how he completely creates a new character who he calls Shatterstar. And here's the thing. He kind of did this also with Richter and Monet. Mm -hmm. And with those two characters, his dramatic reimagining of them was good and is why those two characters became really popular in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and maintained their presence in the franchise after the 90s. This is not one that works. No, it just doesn't. There is a panel that people are always pointing to that is like it's a joke that really lands badly well so i'll just explain first what happens first there's a scroll long shot that x actor fights as part of secret invasion so when the real long shot shows up they assume that it's the evil scroll again but he ends up helping them with a problem they're having with darwin because darwin's evil father has tried to sell darwin to medical experiments and Longshot ends up sticking around because his psychometry power makes him useful to X-Factor investigations as team member. Mm-hmm. He explains that he and Allie just could not make it work. It was too weird because he couldn't remember enough of their life together. And he kept trying to be the person that Allie remembers. But the more that they tried, the more it felt phony. And they just decided to, like, leave it for now. But part of it is that Allie is just so threatened because Longshot is irresistible to all women and can't (laughs) help it again like the sort of womanizer characterization that comes out of nowhere Mm -hmm. in uh the nation x storyline on utopia he hangs out with dazzler for a little bit and they are kind of like you know we're fine or whatever and he says would you like to have sex for old time's sake And she goes, unbelievable, you think that just, and she walks away, and then she turns in and goes, yeah, okay, and his eye glows. (laughs) This page, I remember when this came out, because Scans Daily, no fans of Peter David, for reasons. Google it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Scans yep. Daily in its new incarnation on DreamWidth, after Peter David had gotten Live Journal to shut down the original Scans Daily because they spoiled the sirens baby twist. Was in an uproar about this page. They were like, the implication here is that Longshot used his luck power to rape Dazzler. I don't think that's the intention of the page. I don't think so either. I think it's a getting lucky joke. Yes. I think the idea is his eye goes bing to remind you that like Domino, things just work out for him.
1: Yeah. It doesn't light up until after she says yes.
0: Yes. She says yes before it lights up. If he had done the glowing eye thing before... Oh, that's another thing that the Image guys took into the 90s, by the way. Longshot has the one glowing eye Mm -hmm. years before Cable shows up. Anyway, I just don't read this scene that way. First of all, even though I don't like how David characterizes Longshot, I don't think he characterizes Longshot that nastily and I just also I just don't think that that's what we're meant to understand here so if that's something that you the listener have heard about or have been stressed about I'm pretty confident that it's a consensual sexual encounter
1: yeah like we don't like you said we don't want to bag on Peter david too much given his situation right now and normally I'm one of the most ardent people who like if you want a list of peter David's sins I'll give them to you I don't think this is one of
0: I don't think he meant it that way. And I get why some people read it that way, but I think just, you know, don't worry too much about it. He goes back to X Factor. This is when all of the, God, God, this is when like Pip the Troll shows up. I just, guys, I read this book again for this podcast and I've gone through so many issues of this book repeatedly for this podcast. And I just, I'm going to be real. I can't do it again. I can't do it again. Uh, <laughs> uh, he gets really lucky at he- Hella the Death Goddess. Ragnarok has happened, so Hella is now in Las Vegas. Remember, because that's where she and Danny fuck that one time when Danny gets her Valkyrie powers back. Yep. If you haven't read it, I'm not saying they textually, fu- but they fuck, and it gives Danny her Valkyrie powers back. But anyway, Hella is running a casino, and um, Longshot gets really, really lucky because that's you know what he does. And Hela gets really pissed off. So she sticks her army of the undead on him. (laughs) And that's how Pip the Troll, who was her prisoner for some reason, ends up also joining X Factor. And my God, if you thought that Shatterstar and Longshot were annoying, oversexed, macho characters in this book, get a load of Pip the Troll, a character we now have to deal deal with. with. Uh, You know. (laughs) Anyway. There is a moment where it seems like Longshot does activate his power to do something a little mysterious and nefarious. There's a moment when Richter is like, there's clearly a connection between the two of you. What is it? Because Shatterstar says something like, well, we are related. And Richter's like, what? And when he tries to get more information, he goes, oh, uh, I was just kidding, Rick. And Richter's like, kidding? And Chatterster goes, yes, absolutely. I don't have any connection to Longshot. And we see that Longshot's eye is glowing. And he says, none at all. But my issue with this is I don't think this is how Longshot's power works. Like, it's not mind control. No. That's no, not, it's not luck. That's not probability.
1: You could you can make the case
0: He's nudging Shatterstar to lie to Richter, yeah. I guess.
1: Yeah, you can make the case that Longshot's powers are a form of reality warping, but you can't make the case that they're mind control.
0: Yeah, so like I guess if Shatterstar was already debating whether to lie to Richter you could nudge him into lying but that still feels like a really broad application of this power in a way that isn't usually like most of the time long shots luck power impacts him it impacts things he does he can hit the bullseye Mm -hmm. because he's throwing the object and manipulating the probability he will happen to be found by someone who can rescue him because his personal luck is good i don't think he can just like over he can't just like eavesdrop on a conversation and tweak it i don't think that's how it works yeah yeah no anyway it doesn't super matter There is a plot that does matter where he is the one who uncovers Lorna's traumatic childhood memories that she had suppressed by psychometrically reading a photograph, combining his psychometry with Monet's telepathy, much like he did with Betsy back in the Outback. They're able to show Lorna that it was her power that killed her parents, which leaves her really fucked up and catatonic and go back to the Polaris episode, I guess. I don't really like that story, so I don't really want to talk too much about it. Then the Hell Lords show up and... Uh... Yeah, we're going to move on because I don't want to talk about the Hell Lords again. <laughs> Remember Rain's baby? Rain's baby is a problem because of hell. Yep. That's all you need to know. Anyway, uh, after Strong Guy murders Rain's baby to become the Great Satan... That's what happens in X Factor. The book ends, and Longshot just sort of falls into limbo for well, honestly, only for a couple of months because in early 20s. Another one of those
1: multipersonal constants. Yeah. <laughs> you got limbo, you got otherworld, and you got motovers. Yes,
0: yes. Well, the thing about limbo is that's weird though, is like limbo does have alternate versions of itself like limbo foments its own timelines within limbo. Mm-hmm. There's different limbos.
1: But also there aren't.
0: But also there aren't. Right.
1: <laughs> because they've made that like they they've they've stated that in the canon before is that
0: Yes, it's like other worlds or yeah. And when I say that Longshot was in limbo, I mean general comic book limbo, but Nola is right yes. to point out That Other Place or Limbo is another one of those (laughs) weird, liminal, multiversal locations. But anyway, Longshot is the star of Longshot Saves the Marvel Universe, which was written by Christopher Hastings, who is most famous for creating Dr. McNinja, which was a very, 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 very popular comedy webcomic. What do you think of this
1: book? I think that it is pretty fun, actually.
0: Yeah, I kind of like it.
1: Yeah, it's a good time. (laughs)
0: I agree. It's a nice little romp. He gets a new haircut, which is shocking to me as someone who never thought Longshot would get a haircut ever. He kind of does like a a hipstery side shave thing that doesn't look half bad, honestly.
1: It doesn't work for me, but...
0: It's not Longshot, but I'm like, it's a design that works, you know? It's better than him just walking around for all of X-Factor Investigations with, like, just regular guy hair.
1: Yeah. If there's a thing about Longshot, he's got to have a dumb haircut.
0: Right. So at least it's a dumb haircut. Yeah.
1: It's a new dumb haircut for a new era.
0: Because Peter David's Longshot just is some guy. Like, you can't really tell if it's him or Havoc without looking at their clothes. You know what I mean? Which is not really how it should be. Mm -hmm. Because back in the 80s, you could definitely tell Havoc and Longshot apart because their hair was very different. (laughs) Uh, Also, like, Havoc was kind of buff and Longshot was slender. He was a twink. Yeah. But not gay. So like not a twink, really. I'm I have, I have I'm very like specific about the word twink. I feel like it's been. Sure. Old. I just had this conversation with my father because the word twink has become so mainstreamed that my father mm-hmm. referred to a man as a twink. And I was like, no, it's not. First of all, he's too old. Second of all, it's not what twink means. Move on. <laughs> and he was like, well, now you have to explain it to me. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Anyway, just a little Connor's dad lore for the fans, for the Jim Goldsmith heads. So anyway, he's living in New York. He gets a new haircut. He's broke. So he tries to use his power to get some food for free, which is, of course, a selfish choice. So it backfires and a building explodes. That attracts the attention of the in-betweener. The in-betweener is one of the universal constants like Eternity and Master Chaos and Lord Order and the Living Tribunal and all those weird guys that are like Marvel cosmic entities. Mm-hmm. The in works for Chaos and Order and is sort of the representative of balance in the universe. He does not like Longshot because he thinks Longshot's luck power fucks with everything. He's like, stop doing that.
1: It's interesting that he picks on Longshot specifically because Longshot is far from the only luck person.
0: Well, and particularly like if, I mean, I guess it's because Longshot does it actively. Like, can, like he can do it and like Roulette's dead at this point. so. But Domino, you would think, would be the real problem because she mm-hmm. is just always doing it. And it's like it's it's always on. It is just a field around her body at all times. Mm-hmm. Iska the Unbeaten hadn't been created yet, but that's really like I, I just feel like long shot small potatoes by comparison to some of those uh, other mutants. But anyway, the in-betweener has been murdering especially lucky people like just eliminating them because he sees them as problems and longshot is now abusing his luck power so the in-betweener is like all right well you're now top of my list for people who need to go but longshot manages to get a hold of a cosmic cube and uses it to erase the in-betweener from reality which ends up being a really bad choice because it creates a new dystopian reality in which the in-betweener is split into order and chaos beings, which doesn't really make sense because there's already order and chaos beings in the Marvel Universe the in-betweener is supposed to work for. But guess what? I don't know that much about the Universal constants in Marvel, so I'm just not going to worry about it. Anyway, Longshot goes on a whole thing through this reality and eventually finds the Cosmic Cube, realizes that he has caused big problems and tells the in-betweener, I do destroy lives. I do destroy the people around me. Please kill me. I'm into it. And the Inbetweener is like, no, this whole adventure has taught me that it's not you that's the problem. It's the cosmic cube. So I'm gonna take that. Goodbye. And like takes the cosmic cube and leaves. And that's the end of that. It's a fun little four-issue miniseries. I would recommend it if you're a long shot fan. I think that it draws on Peter David's like less wholesome characterization of him, but I think brings him back closer to the character from the classic stuff. Yes. And was a good reset. Like, he's obviously doing unscrupulous stuff with his luck powers and is, like, kind of a con artisty guy in this. But he's not as sleazy as he feels at in X-Factor Investigations, yeah. where he just feels icky to me.
1: It's also very, in- like, it's a very interesting artifact of its time. Mm-hmm. As miniseries go, because it's it's from right in the middle of Bendis X-Men. It's in the middle of Superior Spider-Man when Doc Ock was Spidey. Mm-hmm. It's when Alison Blair, it's when Dazzler was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Yes. But presumably before she was replaced by Mystique as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent.
0: Right, but that happens so quickly for Allie. <laughs> I would have liked to read Dazzler, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. as like a miniseries and Bendis introduces it and then has her knocked out and replaced in like the first issue where she's doing it, which was always sad to me.
1: So it's really a question like, is this Alison Blair or is this Mystique as Alison Blair?
0: good question yeah which
1: is almost even funnier because i can just imagine mystique having to pretend to be dazzler through this entire thing <laughs> and how annoying that would be for her <laughs> gotta maintain cover gotta maintain oh, God, cover i gotta
0: talk to long shot <laughs> so <laughs> after that mini-series The following year in 2015, Longshot pops up. This is another, like, funny, it happens to be an event moment. It's all new X Factor. This is Peter David again. This is the corporate team that Polaris is running. And Longshot and Sunfire pop up, but they're evil because of the morality inversion wave from Axis.
1: Yes, the one that turned Havoc into a selfish jerk and turned Sabretooth briefly into a good guy. Into
0: Monet's boyfriend, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything to say about Axis, so...
1: It sure did happen.
0: It sure did happen, and uh, <laughs> none of this super matters, honestly.
1: The thing that I remember most about it is that like Havoc's morality was one of the last things to get fixed before Krakoa.
0: Yes, it was because it, it's fixed um,
1: in Rosenberg's. Uh, in Ro- astonishing. Yeah, Rosenberg's
0: astonishing, but then he's killed off and then comes uh-huh. back for Krakoa, and that's why he's so fucked up in Hellions is because like he had just come off of having his brain and morality fucked with for a really long time. I will say for people who hate on my son Havoc. It is notable that the inversion wave turned him into a bad guy, which means he's a good guy Mm -hmm. at heart, in his core, really, at the end of the day.
1: That's his whole thing, is that he's a good guy who gets mind controlled. Like, that is, it happens to him over and over again. Sure does.
0: Then in 2017, Longshot is part of the crossover Mojo Worldwide, which Takes place across Mark Guggenheim's X Men Gold and Cullen Bunn's X Men Blue. Uh, skip it. Yeah, I'm gonna skip it. Then. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. I'm sure I talked about it in the character file. That's enough for me. Then he uh, next pops up in Domino, the 2018 Domino solo series. The Gail Simone one, he pops up in uh, Mm -hmm. 2019 in issue nine and is in nine and ten. He has developed a terminal illness of some kind that's made him crazy. Mm -hmm. And it is ultimately revealed that it's an allergy to being around humanity. (laughs) And so he has to go back to the Mojoverse. It's not unlike when North Star got fairy cancer. Remember that? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yep
0: and I had to go back to asgard where the, his fairy people were from but then yep when he and aurora came back to alpha flight they were just like wow loki made that all up crazy anyway he goes back to the mojo verse because unfortunately he can't really just keep living on earth because he's allergic to it or something but he does come back for wolfsbane's funeral in rosenberg's uncanny
1: And I think that pretty much catches us up, right?
0: Yeah, he has a cameo, like I said, in Incoming, which was a one-shot that they put out in December 2019 with a million different writers. There's, like, so many little tiny stories in this. It was setting up a bunch of, like, previews for the year to come. Mm -hmm. And there is a brief moment that I believe Hickman wrote where we see Sinister in the Mojo world. He's got... Long shot in a show and he says, The beatings will continue until we have a deal, Mojo. Krakoa will have a la carte programming, a la carte du jour, regardless of your preferred subscription model so it's you know just a a little cameo otherwise he hasn't been seen he's not on Krakoa technically he's not a mutant but given the revelation go back to the Shatterstar and Dazzler episodes that Longshot was created by Arise based on the DNA template of Shatterstar in a time paradox Dazzler is technically Longshot's grandmother Mm-hmm. and maybe he has an X gene?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing is that if he is...
0: It turns out he's part human in a way that yeah. doesn't track with any of the previous stories.
1: He says it outright in Longshot Saves of Marvel Universe. He says, I'm a clone of my own son.
0: Right. So...
1: And his son's a mutant.
0: Right. But, <laughs> I don't know, it doesn't really work. That said, back in the classic stuff, there were moments where, like, ship, X-Factor's ship, the living celestial ship Mm -hmm. that would only let mutants on board during whatever like said he's close enough. Yeah. So like, mm
1: it's one of those things where if a story came out tomorrow that said he was a mutant, there is enough there to justify it.
0: I think it's totally, totally doable to just say that because he was partially created from Shatterstar's DNA, he has an X gene. And don't worry about it, and it's fine. Yeah, and I think that that's the way to go if you want to use the character. It's like Megan, honestly, where it's like, what's yeah. Megan's deal? And it's like, is she a fairy? Is she a mutant? And Teeny Howard was like, guess what? Por que no los dos. Like, let's just mm-hmm. let's just establish canonically that she has fairy heritage and is an ex gene mutant, and just move on with our yeah. lives.
1: Well, and it's like it's like Warlock back in the day when mm-hmm. they were like, you know, well, Warlock's kind of a mutant because he's, you know, his his mutation, his mutation is that he's not blood like his right, family, yeah, which yeah. is
0: like okay, sure, fine. But it's very D and D, right? It's like he's like the yeah. drizzit of the <laughs> <laughs> technarchy. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's that's so good. I hadn't thought you know, of it that way. Like, that's so Warlock
0: Doerden is like very much the <laughs> there. brew, the little brewed guy that jason aaron created is also like he's a mutant brood because he thinks for himself and i'm like okay mm-hmm. but that's sure. not an x-gene mutant which is like a like a specific kind of mutant because there are other kinds of mutants uh anyway i don't know i, I but with long shot we can explain now because of the shatter star of it all
1: mm-hmm. because of the shatter star of it all i love
0: that and i think that's a great time for us to get into the questions because boy did people have questions about that <laughs> 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 so um let's just let's just dig in to the questions unless you have anything general you'd like to say about Longshot before we get into the questions
1: i have a lot of like really boring media observations about him like the way that he uses the eight-pointed star as a logo that is otherwise prominent in Marvel universe because it's captain marvel's logo mm-hmm both Captains Marvel.
0: Marvel and Monica, yeah. Yeah. And now Carol, but that's the Marvel symbol.
1: Yeah. Certain members of the Nova Corps have used it. Quasar uses like a half version of it because Quasar is kind of tied into the Marvel stuff, the Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. But also like North Star and Aurora use a version of it because the eight pointed star is the North Star. Right. And then Dazzler ends up wearing it too. And it's interesting because Dazzler joins the X Men in 214. And she's in that pink dress the entire time. That's that malice story that Connor mentioned earlier. The very next issue, she's just walking next to Longshot, and they're just wearing matching logos. And there's no mention of it, like where the new costume came from or why she has the same thing. It's great. Interesting.
0: Gabe Fetzko writes, Hello to the most exultant, potentate of mutants and esteemed guest. Hope I'm not too late. Happily writing from Eugene, Oregon, and thrilled to be talking about one of my favorite X-Men. But honestly, I couldn't tell you why he is. He's just fun. He's just fun. I'm curious about Longshot's home dimension. Is it the Mojoverse or Wild Ways? Do we know if it's anywhere near the Milky Way? Safe assumption based on television being broadcast there. Is it potentially a future Earth? Thanks for all the work you're doing and the incredible community you've created. The Claremont Marathon is now bedtime stories for myself and my nine-month-old. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. Mm. I hope that you're enjoying that it has resumed now that my laryngitis is gone. Gabe Fate, flat scan, and hopefully one day I'll jump on the Discord. P.S. Thanks for pronouncing my last name correctly in a previous question. Always a win. Well, I hope I pronounced it correctly again. So the Wild Ways and the Mojo Verse and the Mojo World are all the same thing. It's different ways of talking about them. I imagine it was called the Wild Ways before Mojo took over and renamed it Mojo World. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Which is another, it's another very kind of other world kind of thing where which is a, a, a fairy thing, which things are known by multiple names.
0: Mm-hmm. The Wild Ways specifically also seem to be like the pathways that Mojo's ship travels and that spiral mm-hmm. dances along. And so to answer your question about like what it is, it is like Limbo or Otherworld, a weird like abnormal dimensional space between dimensions, as opposed to a specific reality with like a number in the Marvel cosmology So it's not a future Earth because a future Earth would have a reality number. Mm -hmm. The Mojoverse, according to Mojo, is unique and exists outside all of the other timelines. It is close enough through the veil of reality or whatever that somehow television signals from... Earth-616 is the implication mm-hmm. specifically, which yet again underlines the specialness of Earth-616. And I have my theories about that that pertain to Gene and the Phoenix, that pertain to Moira X, that like, you know, there's something about that reality. It has been called the prime Earth in other stories. Mm-hmm. Yep. For whatever reason, that is the Earth that it seems the television signals beam into the Mojiverse from because that's why he came out onto that one. So it's another example of Earth 616 having a special resonance in the Omniverse for some reason. Not so special that Saturnine wasn't like, I will destroy it if you guys don't deal with House of M because like when, <laughs> <laughs> when Wanda's reality cancer was encroaching on other worlds Saturnine told Brian and Megan and Betsy and Rachel that they had 24 hours or she was going to push the button. <laughs> <laughs> which is a very funny opaluna and we know she will we oh know she, she would
1: have done it for
0: sure she,
1: like there's an entire earth in cross time caper that gets canceled because it's too silly to exist
0: yeah oh yeah <laughs> and and they destroyed Earth 238 i mean mandragon yep. did it but like it's something that the dimensional development court does I mean, there's a reason that they call Jim Jaspers and then one to reality cancer. Their idea is like, listen, we're responsible for every Earth. And if we have to destroy one, it's like removing healthy tissue to destroy cancer, like to get it out of the body. Because the body to them is the whole wheel that spins around other world, not just one Earth. Sorry, if it happens to be your Earth, that's not really my problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's the the banal bureaucracy of other world is one of the things that I love most about. That's why Saturnine's so, oh God, what a great character. Anyway, uh, yeah, so it's not a future Earth. It is a specific reality like Limbo that plays by its own rules and seems to abut onto different Earths if it wants to, but has a specific connection to 616 for whatever reason.
1: Like an out-of-phase dimensional shift almost. I guess you could argue that it is close to the Milky Way in the sense that it is somehow close to Earth. Right, but
0: But like not in space and it doesn't seem to (laughs) like have right like a physical location really, you know, it's wherever spiral dances you to like it's not it's not a fixed point, really. Sam Gladstone writes, Dear Connor and Nolan, so excited to hear what you two discuss in this episode. Let's dive in. Was Longshot genetically engineered with a mullet? How would one go about making sure this twunk Kimbo has perpetual mullet beyond genetically engineering him that way? Is it the latent queerness of Dazzler as a gay icon through their child that's popped up further down the line like a ginger gene? Or were Mojo and Spyro really on some fucked up shit when they had Longshot designed? Really? A mullet? I've survived the experience so far as Sam Gladstone at Reese Indigo. I think that the obvious answer is that the Mojoverse is based on the trends of the television signals Mm -hmm. that telepathically beam into the heads of the spineless ones. Why does Spiral wear a samurai hat? Because Mojo watched a Kurosawa movie. Like, there's no rhyme or reason to the aesthetics of Mojo World. They're all just pop culture kitbashed into, like, random nonsense.
1: And what did the 80s have? MacGyver.
0: Yeah, and specifically, like another thing, actually, if you go to his Wikipedia page, you can see the design that Carl Potts commissioned at first, which was like kind of like a Star Trek character. And then when they went back to the drawing board, Art Adams specifically based his look on Limmel, Christopher Hamill, the singer from Kajagugu, as I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. He's most famous in his solo career for doing the title song from the movie the never ending story and if you look up the song the never ending story from 1984 and look at the cover of that record i'm going to put it in the chat for nola if she hasn't seen it that's just long shot
1: yep sure is
0: <laughs> that's the answer to that, Art Adams said no other comic book character we have right now has that haircut, so I thought it would be unique and interesting. And mm-hmm. Annie liked it because it underlined the sort of fairy-like androgyny that she wanted the character to have. He's a being from another world, and he is sort of like alien in that way and not of Earth. So
1: You know who else he shares a look with? Is He's got the haircut and the same finger count of the Gelflings from Dark crystal.
0: Sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. I mean, like, there's, he's, he's, it's a lot of different. I like the fingers thing, because to me, that's just like the spineless ones not paying a ton of attention and just being like, how many fingers are they supposed to have? And just not getting it right. Yeah. The funniest thing is that Spiral has the three fingers until they retcon that she's Rita, and then she suddenly has another one. But you could explain that away with body shop shenanigans, Mm -hmm.
2: because
0: it's like, oh, well, I tried taking it off for a while to look more like a a, a local, but I ended up putting them back on. (laughs) Kayla Over Diep writes, Hi, Connor and Nola, long-time listener for some caller. Connor, your podcast made my decision to read the X-Men, starting from Claremont onward, much less intimidating, and I'm happy to say I'm surviving the experience. I'll keep my sentiments short and simply send a heartfelt thank you for creating such a great space where so many can share their love for the X-Men. I don't chime in much in the Discord because talking to thousands of people at once terrifies me, but I appreciate the varied conversations and hashtag no bad vibes. Do not stress, there are only like, I realize there are 3,200 people in that Discord, but I would say there are like 50 people who comment regularly and they are all very kind. So don't don't be nervous. Nola, I absolutely love the Destiny episode and I'm ashamed to say that I didn't realize just how much of a badass Destiny was until listening to it. Onto my and my partner's question. How exactly do Longshot's powers work and how are they different from Domino's powers? From what I've read so far, Domino seems to just always have good luck while Longshot's luck will turn against him. Is he just always entering one of many flop eras? (laughs) Yes, actually. Yes, yes. (laughs) Do his powers have an on-off switch? Are they completely unconscious? Is there a higher power character or being that determines his intentions, celestial style? If he knows he's bad-intentioned, why would he even try to use the power? Why can't he and the Rebels ever win against Mojo if luck is on his side? Sometimes. Thanks for all the work you do to make this podcast great. Please know that it does not go unnoticed or unappreciated. Make mine Cerebro, Kayla, aka Cool Kid Kai, in the Discord. And then, hi, Connor, sending another question over in hopes I'm not too late. I saw a child with a mullet while shopping the other day and immediately thought of Long Shot. With the resurgence of this iconic haircut, do you think this is the perfect time for Longshot to make his comeback? Would Mojo jump on the very long reboot train and get him back on an X Men team for the views? Or would Mojo use Longshot and his fabulous hair to jumpstart his own streaming service, or 10? I said it in my last question, but I absolutely love the podcast, sending an early congratulations for getting closer and closer to the coveted 100 episode milestone. To repeat your words back to you, you're doing great. Keep it up. Until next time, Kayla, aka Cool Kid Kai, in the Discord. Well, thank you. That is really kind. <laughs>
1: It is the perfect time for Longshot to come back. It's always the perfect time for Longshot to come yes,
0: back. Yes, th- he's lucky that way, right?
1: Yeah. Marvel, if you if you need a pitch, let me know. I'll
0: Marvel, if you. you're listening, Nola has a Longshot <laughs> pitch. Here's what I'll say about his power. It works how the writer wants it to work. And mm-hmm. it's not enormously consistent. What is different from Domino though is that he does turn it on. Like it is passively mm-hmm. always kind of going, but he can focus it and be like, "I want to spend." He he can like cash in his luck tokens on a specific mm-hmm. action. Yeah, honestly, not unlike a tabletop game player. Yeah. Like,
1: If you've played D&D, it's an inspiration point.
0: Yeah, he can definitely, like, add bonus dice to one action per day or whatever, (laughs) you know? But Uh if he does it for a selfish purpose, it backfires. Who decides what a selfish purpose is? That's a great question. Annie Nascente decides in the original story. Is there a higher power deciding? Not that we've seen... The in-betweeners certainly doesn't seem to be dictating it. Yep. When we do see him and destroy longshot he's got opinions. In the longshot universe, he's got opinions on how long shot uses it, but he's not passing judgment. Yeah. My take on it is that long shot knows when he's being selfish.
1: Yes. And and part of that question was why does he do that if he's being selfish? Like
0: Yeah. Why would you try if you know? Right.
1: And the answer to that that I have is sometimes you make decisions that aren't the best decisions because you really want a certain thing. Everybody does that. Yeah. We are flawed creatures. That is, that's just the thing that happens. And you don't
0: realize you're being selfish until after you've yeah. already done the thing.
1: Yeah. And you try to reason your way out of it and you reason it in a way that you can justify it to yourself that you're making the right decision even though you might not be.
0: And for him, he has a built-in shame vector. Like, mm-hmm. some people... Go about their lives being selfish and never facing any consequences for it. He is an interesting character because he is so simple and kind when he's introduced. But as he develops as a person and becomes more flawed like a regular person is, he can do whatever he wants, but the universe bites back. It's very pagan in that way honestly like it has a it has a like neo pagan wiccan like threefold rule kind of vibe to it. I compared it to the monkey's paw earlier like if you are selfish in your desires what you get back will not be healthy or good for you. What we usually see is he doesn't use the power most of the time if he knows that he's being self-absorbed or narcissistic or selfish, like in long shot saves the Marvel universe, he's hungry. He has no money and he needs to eat. Mm-hmm. So like, that's a case where it's like, all right, let's see what the fuck happens, but I got to eat, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. And, not... and so,
1: so that, that's one of those interesting ones. Cause I don't even know that I would necessarily like classify that as a selfish decision.
0: Right. But the universe clearly does because it causes that explosion. But I think that's because he's stealing, right? Mm-hmm. But then it's like the Les Mis question. Mm-hmm. Like, is it wrong to steal bread if you're starving? I don't think so. But here's the mm-hmm. thing about the, the forces of the universe. They're capricious and nasty. I mean, the story then becomes about the in-betweener taking a very literal approach to keeping things in balance by killing people who are too lucky. So I, I don't think we're meant to think that the universe is objective in a way that's good, You know, sometimes there are subjective reasons why the letter of the law is not the thing that we should honor above all other things. Mm -hmm. But the answer is mostly he doesn't. I mean, when he, notably in Inferno, when he believes his luck is gone, he's like, no, Betsy, I can't do that because I'm just going to hurt people. And she's like, all right, I get that. But like these babies are going to die. Like we really need you to do something about this. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Margo writes, Hi Connor and Nola, this is my second time writing and I love the podcast. Of course, Longshot's a favorite of mine. and Senti one of my favorite Marvel writers, and the Mojo verse and all its bizarre, funny, and tragic characters are some of my favorites in the X universe. One thing I find particularly moving and poignant about Longshot is how the struggle against Mojo can never end. It just repeats over and over again. Is this a feature and not a bug? Do we like the Ouroboros of Longshot? Could Longshot's story ever theoretically end? Shattershot, I suppose, is this, but that was a while back. Is there ever a happy ending for Longshot? Until the mojo cinematic universe makes a quark solo movie the ram guy goat guy i don't know quite what he is make mine cerebro i think he's a ram and i love that you also landed on mojo cinematic universe like we did early in the episode
1: this is fascinating to me because you're asking if long shot ever gets a happy ending Does any Marvel character ever get a happy ending?
0: That's what I was about to say. No superhero character ever gets a happy ending. No character in an ongoing narrative ever truly gets a happy ending because if that happens, the story is over and this is something a lot of fans i think and i'm not saying you don't understand this margo i'm saying a lot of fans don't understand this because they'll get really upset with a writer for having a relationship go through strife or having a character really take a whole bunch of l's for a while and it's like yeah because that's a story their job is to torture the shit out of these people to create conflict for us to read about yep happy endings are the domain of fan fiction. And that's why fan fiction, it's one of the many reasons why fan fiction has its value. But I just want to read my favorite couple down at the coffee shop having a nice time is not something you're going to get in a superhero comic unless it's in the service of the coffee shop then exploding and like, you know, yes. oh my God, Hydra's attacking or whatever, because that's what a comic right. book is. shot, meta-theatrically, comments on the entire genre because no hero is ever going to actually triumph. Superman can never truly defeat Lex Luthor. Batman can never truly save the people of Gotham. The X-Men can never truly end bigotry against mutants because if they do, there's no more story.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So long shots, eternal failure as the messiah of the Mojo world, reflects the struggle of every superhero that there is. And the answer to the question is, we must imagine Sisyphus happy.
1: hmm I would say it's possible for Longshot story to get an end in the sense that Marvel does those whatever title, The End miniseries. That's the only way I see it happening.
0: Yes, it would have to be Longshot, The End, or Shatterstar, The End, and it's about the prophecy that, once and for all, ends the. Di- but even now, when Krakoa has annexed Mojo World with the help of Shatterstar, and like that, the implications are like maybe that fulfills the prophecy. I guarantee it's not mm-hmm. because the second someone has a Mojoverse story that they want to tell, Mojo is going to seize control of Mojo World again. That's how it works. It's a comic book, and I think that Longshot is tragic because the other characters. Are allowed to look at him and see him the way that we look at them and see them yes he is a like a fictional character to them in an ongoing narrative that they constantly see repeating itself
1: mm-hmm. that's also why he why writers struggle with him especially in ensemble casts where he feels like kind of a blank slate because if he's not the star of the story if he's not the action hero what is he doing?
0: What is he? Who is he? I mean, yeah, if, yeah, if he's not the action hero or the curiosity, like in the Outback uh-huh. era, he is a character that comments on all the other characters by in his naivete and in his meta-textual nature identifying all of the weird things about the other characters that we all just accept. Like Wolverine is the ultimate Sisyphean character. He lives forever. He suffers relentlessly. Everyone he loves suffers and dies. Nothing good ever really comes. Krakoa is the happiest he's ever been. And he's still not really happy. You know what I mean? And Longshot is always happy, except for his moments of deep despair, but he always finds a way to get back up. Yep. His friends always remind him that he should get back up, and he does, and he is the happy Sisyphus that Camus describes. He is, he knows, because he knows mm-hmm. the prophecy of Shatterstar when he doesn't lose his memories. like When he knows the prophecy, he knows that his rebellion is doomed to fail for a hundred years, and he does it anyway. And that is really powerful. It's what the final episode of Angel is about. I love that show. Yep. Go watch that show.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's about even when everything is going wrong, even when you know you're doomed to fail, you stand up and try because what else are you going to do?
0: Well, because here's the thing. Listen. You and I are going to die without seeing the end of capitalism or the end of racism or the end of any oppressive systems that we look around at the world and see influencing people in need all around the globe. You and I will die without seeing those systems dismantled. Does that mean we shouldn't try? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah.
0: I think we should try because I think that... Every little thing we do to fight fascism, racism, oligarchy, all of those things matter because they show our children in a grand sense, because I don't Mm -hmm. intend to have any and I certainly don't have any right now. It shows our children that they should keep fighting. Yeah. So Shatterstar will triumph because Longshot failed. Moses will never see the promised land.
1: Mm Mm-hmm hope springs eternal
0: hope springs eternal that's exactly it
1: i mean that's the morality of superheroes stories in general like that's what they're about at their core
0: Sean Hansen writes, Hello Connor and guest. First, thanks so much for all that you do. I'm a longtime comics fan and always found the X-Men confusing as all hell and totally inaccessible. Thanks to you and your podcast, that's no longer the case. You're doing amazing work. That's what I love to hear. As a relatively new X-Men fan, it's safe to say I'd never even heard of Longshot until I think you mentioned him here and there on your pod. I'm currently reading the Claremont era for the first time, so I recently checked out Anna Nasenti and Art Adams' fun Longshot Mini. In the wake of that series, I was genuinely surprised by the duration of Longshot's tenure with the X-Men. I expected a quick blip, but he's really there for the rest of the age. Which is what brings me to my question. Longshot's character design is so intrinsically tied to the 1980s that I think he'd be nearly unrecognizable with an updated look. In order to make him feel less like a relic of a bygone era, is there a way to remove Longshot's general look and feel from that particular decade without ruining the basic essence of his design? How would you go about doing this? Thanks again, and keep up the phenomenal work. Sean Hansen, Sean on the Discord.
1: Longshot saves the Marvel Universe.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was a good update that I think worked. I also think though, that it's okay for him to look a little bit like an anachronism because Mm -hmm. he is meant to be from a culture that is based on half-remembered telephone games of American pop culture.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. He's a man at a time.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, if Harry Styles didn't rip off David Bowie every 30 seconds, he wouldn't have anything to wear. (laughs) Yep. Not to be a bitch, but, like, it's not as though... I mean, you're not wrong. It's not as though pop signifiers from old eras don't get reused and remixed and repurposed. And so I think having him be kind of an 80s pastiche always makes sense. I think he should always look new wave. But I think that you can update... I think his hair should always be a little bit longer than like most superhero, male superheroes' hair is. But... You can style it a little differently to like be more on trend because the thing about his 80s look is at the time it was extremely on trend. And that's the thing that – so like for example, I don't like when they just go back to Storm's Mohawk without Mm -hmm. changing it up because the point of Storm's Mohawk in 1982 or whatever that was –
1: 1983.
0: Three, thank you. Was that it was the most cutting-edge, high fashion, right now, off-the-runway look you could have given her. I think that Russell Dodderman's new look for Storm that she's wearing in XN Red is absolutely brilliant because it is that concept now. Mm-hmm. It looks effortlessly now and modern, and the hair has the Mohawk silhouette. But is a textured natural hairstyle that you would see on a black supermodel on a runway. Yep. And I think that that is what you do with Longshot is you make him, if you're not just going to use the design as is, which I think is fine, honestly, because it's okay if he looks a lot of time, he doesn't need to be current because he's out of step with time and space, right? But if you want to keep that vibe, then what you do is you say, what are the aesthetic markers that make this character Resonate. He wears all black. He has the gold star. He has these little signifiers. He's blonde. And then think, like, okay, who is Ziggy Stardust in 2023? And you draw that. And I think that could work too. But I think that you need to be someone with a fashion consciousness.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: The thing that a lot of people don't think about with artists back in the day is how many of them came out of fashion illustration or had a working knowledge of fashion illustration. Mark Silvestri's streetwear for the X-Men is Mm -hmm. fantastic, effortless. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what made them feel so cool in that late 80s period is that they were wearing trendy streetwear all the time. You go back to Jim Steranko stuff in the Silver Age and like Janet Van Dyne looks fucking snatched. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she is in mod fashions of that moment and looks fantastic. Paul Smith drew great flowy dresses like someone in the the discord once was like what the fuck is madeline wearing that yellow dress and from the ashes and i'm like okay but the early 1980s this is extremely trendy you just don't like yeah. it because those big poofy sleeves are not on trend in this yeah. day and age but they were super trendy back then and so was this haircut which was louise simonson's actual haircut you know like yep. it's just one of those things where A lot of the time in modern comics, this isn't to insult the artists working in modern comics today, but there's often less of a grounding in that and a lot more of just draw them in their costumes over and over again.
1: Right. There's a tendency today to hire artists who grew up drawing superheroes and right. began drawing superheroes professionally.
0: Yes, which is very different from hiring mm-hmm. people who drew for ad agencies or whatever before they were drawing superheroes. hmm yep. That's just about the passage of time and superhero drawing becoming a viable career that people want. Yeah. As opposed to it being a cool thing that artists got into after they went to art school to learn how to draw dresses for Bergdorf Goodman ads. Yeah. It's just a very different path.
1: Yeah. Cause fashion doesn't use drawings in ads anymore.
0: Not as much. No. Yeah. You think about it, and like, that's why you get. I mean, I think that there's a reason why some of the designers, the character designers that we point to most nowadays are gay or queer artists like Russell Dodderman, Chris Anka, Kevin Wada, people who have. A fashion background mm-hmm. because there is something about that ability to translate fashion design into superhero design that creates something really evocative. Yep. Whether or not they're your favorite artists is secondary to the idea of whether or not they are a great designer. Mm-hmm. I think that's just something that one needs to keep in mind. But I think with Longshot, it's about identifying the alien, glam, 80s vibe of him and then making it modern if you want to or making it purposely anachronistic if you want to do that. I think you make a choice one way or the other. What you don't want to do is what he looks like in X-Factor Investigations where he is just some guy. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work at all for me anyway. Yeah, no, he's
1: got to have a distinctness about him.
0: Andy Hodges writes right. Salutations, Connor Goldsmith and uncanny guest. I have a Philly accent. Go wild. That's a hard one. I don't think I'm going to do it. <laughs> My questions, questions? You saw long shot down at the Wawa? I don't know. <laughs> My questions resolve around Longshot's design. There have been attempts to steer him away from his 80s looks with different updates. Most notably annoying was the queer barbershop scene in Longshot versus the Marvel Universe where he got a hipster kind of look. Is it worth removing the iconic mullet to try and modernize this good, good boy? Or removing his iconic style make him less Longshot? We just addressed this, but I like that yeah. you're identifying similar things. Also, I know headcanons are personal and not something you always like to comment on, but this boy is queer, right? Like The queer energy just radiates off him. Personally, I see him as trans or non-binary, but I have yet to meet a queer X-Fan who doesn't headcanon Longshot as some flavor of queer what do you think it is about this lad that makes queers nod and go he's ours is it the mullet is it his lost memories is it that he's out of time is it that he's forced to play roles he doesn't understand i think there's a lot there we connect with but i'd love to hear your thoughts and queer readings of one of my all-time favorite characters until connor does an episode dedicated to inhumans versus x-men make mine cerebro andy they them p.s here's some fun philly words to say Eagles, crick water go birds wawa unionize <laughs> uh
1: yes To hit on that, there's definitely an aspect of Longshot being a person who is expected to play a role Mm -hmm. that really rings true for me. I have always thought of Longshot as trans. He reads to me as a trans mask.
0: I've heard that a lot from people. Yeah.
1: He's got a masculinity that doesn't, it's not traditional masculinity for one. And it doesn't feel like he has, it feels like he is engaging with it more consciously, more as a choice than a cis man would.
0: I think that whether or not you read him literally that way, he's engaging exactly in gender performance that feels very Mm -hmm. resonant to trans readers. Yes. He, He is trying so hard to be the male matinee idol. Yes. And it's not necessarily natural, even though it's what he was made to be, but it's like he's doing what feels like it's necessary. And
1: that's 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 key to it, too, is that he was made to. Right. That is a very trans experience. Like, I am made to perform this role. And so here is what I am when I choose to be myself. And also, who who am I when I'm not performing this role?
0: But it's interesting because he was made to be a male lead. And what you're saying is that the true self feels trans masculine to you. So it's sort of mm-hmm. but he was assigned male by Mojo, as it mm-hmm. were. So it's complicated. My one sticking point with the idea of Longshot as a trans character is just that I think Allie is so square (laughs) sexually. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I think the non-binary reads on the character make total sense. If Longshot was a they-them individual, that would make a ton of sense to me. I think Allie definitely sees him as a cis man is the thing. And I think part of the issue in their relationship is that she needs him to be that and he's not quite. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I don't know.
1: To answer your question in a general sense, yes, there's absolutely an aspect of him that is not cishet. Yeah,
0: no, there's something (laughs) super, whether it's sexuality or gender, however you want to read it, something is a little queer with this boy.
1: Which ties back to all the X-Men are queer.
0: Well, yes, exactly. In terms of like sexuality, he doesn't ever seem to be sexually interested in men in a way that a lot of male X-Men characters do. He definitely is like women oriented, I think. Mm -hmm. But there's something gender-y going on with this character, however you see it. I think my brain goes more toward the idea that he's like an AMAB non-binary person invested in like androgyny. But I think that the trans mask reading makes sense. I think there's lots of readings that make sense. Mm-hmm. The one thing that complicates trans readings, as is often the case with ongoing stories, is like he did get Dazzler pregnant. But I mean, it's Mojo World. Yeah,
1: who like knows? that's the thing is that like who knows a what fantasy spiral world? could
0: install like I a really a fantasy world
1: where a trans mask could could get in, could get a cis woman pregnant like
0: not unreasonable especially yeah. when I mean like Spiral can give you like fifty arms I'm sure she can put in some gonads yeah so. Really, up to you. This is, again, why I don't like to opine too much on, as you said, on headcounts like this, because I think they're just very, very personal. What I would say is there's something there and you're not wrong to identify that there's something there. Dr. Robinson writes, Hello, Connor and esteemed guest. I'm an avid listener and first-time writer. Note, if you want to try an Oklahoman accent, it's like a Texan accent, but more sad. (laughs) 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 After a flat-scan friend recommended the Selene episode to me, I binged all of Cerebro over the summer. Thank you for reigniting my childhood obsession with the X-Men. Thanks to you, I'm visiting my local comic book store every week to pick up the latest X-Books. I'm currently obsessed with X-Terminators. Now to my question. I'm currently in the process of reading through 60 years of X-Men comics. Having just finished the Australian era, I really get the sense of Longshot being the pass-around part bottom of the x-men is there anyone on the? T- <laughs> is there anyone on the team he wasn't sleeping with was betsy too busy accidentally falling into storm's bathtub to pay attention to this blonde twink anyway thank you so much for the podcast my husband thanks you for my non-stop talking about the x-men sincerely dr robinson i do need to correct you it was storm who accidentally fell into betsy's bathtub not the other way around as for your general question, I don't really feel like he vibes with men that much. That's just my read, though. I do feel like all of... The, I mean, in a Claremont world, a pass around party bottom could be just with women. Because...
1: That's true, because all of Claremont's world It's a tops. femdom
0: kind of world. I'm glad <laughs> I've got my girls, is the Chris Claremont story. Here's what I'll say. Do I think he and Rogue did some over-the-clothes hand stuff and that's what Allie's pissed about? Absolutely. Like, I don't believe... That his, he's naive, but he's not sexually disinterested. Mm-hmm. So I think that when he's like, I don't understand, what's monogamy? Like, it's it's not, I think that he and Rogue were fooling around a little insofar as Rogue is able to. This is the thing also. So, like, it's complicated, but I would say it certainly seems like Ali and Rogue are both like, yes, this is my new toy until he objects to Allie viewing him that way. And then they develop a more genuine like love connection. Mm -hmm. But I don't think the guys are fucking him. That's just never the vibe I picked up.
1: I mean, mostly they're all too busy being sad during that era.
0: Yeah. But just like, if you told me that Colossus and Havoc were fucking in that era, I'd be like, yeah, that tracks or like, you know, like Wolverine and Havoc meltdown. Are they fucking you bet your ass. Like that's one of the gayest (laughs) comics I've ever read in my entire life there was a flashback to that in uh, X lives Mm -hmm. during the X lives during the 10 lives X desk, excuse me, event. there was like a moment where Logan's like recalling all his like, and there's a moment where like you see havoc with like punk chains on like a very eighties moment, like leans back (laughs) against a jukebox or something. And I'm just like, they were fucking. Mm -hmm. So like all of those, I'm like, yeah, I see like a gay thing here, but I just like a male, male long shot thing has never been something that has like pinged. I feel like gay Longshot is Shatterstar, right? Like, that's kind of the... It's sort of like how gay Jean is Rachel, except that Rachel's actually more like Scott. But, like, as Sarah Century put it once, I think, all of Jean's sublimated queer thoughts are, like, made manifest in her daughter. I feel like like that's sort of similarly the vibe here. Parker writes, Hello, Connor and guests. My first encounter with Longshot was early on in Jay and Miles when they're asked what their favorite X-Men are. And one of Miles' answers is Long Shot. I still remember exactly where I was in my university campus hearing that description. A hot guy with luck powers, as long as he's doing good, it's like they wrote him for me. Since then, I've read about just about every appearance he's had, at least all of them I can find on Marvel Unlimited. And I even went as him to a con last year. My question is this: why was he not on the original lineup for X-Force? Rob Liefeld said I need a mojo world guy and a luck power guy, and somehow we ended up with two new characters? I love Nina and Gavidra, but it's always seemed like an odd choice to me. Just as odd as his exit during the Outback. Era. he couldn't just stay a little longer and gone through the siege why did this icon get tossed away in the late 80s when he was still so hot shame parker be no on the discord so he gets written out of x-men in the 80s because annie nascente was supposed to write a long shot on going like that to me is a very yep. clear cause and effect and then that book just got canceled
1: yeah, that and the Bob Harris thing. That's about why he's not in
0: X-Force, is that Bob yeah. Harris wanted to get rid of the characters who were too complicated. Now, does Rob Liefeld immediately introduce a character who's not just from the Mojoverse but from the future of the Mojoverse? He sure does. But is that character an extreme sword guy? And also, are they letting Rob Liefeld do whatever the fuck he wants?
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Also, Shatterstar is a mutant.
0: Yes, Shatterstar's a mutant, which is, like, something they stress repeatedly and is, like, that's the key, is that Bob Harris really wanted every character who's a main character in an X-Men book to be a mutant. You also see the human characters fall by the wayside. Stevie Hunter disappears. Like, it's very much we want to focus back in on the mutant characters. So that's part of it. And then Domino's a hot chick. So like that's, you know, an answer unto itself, right? Liefeld wanted cable to have a love interest. So yeah, I guess I mean that's the answer. Is is just sort of external factors entirely. Nothing that has to do with how popular or not popular the character was. Because as you identify, he was a hot character still up through the end of the 80s. So was Dazzler. And they get rid of her too, because they're like, disco is over. You know, like there's just no... (laughs) And honestly, I think because of Jubilee. I think Jubilee's power was seen as being similar to Dazzler's. So why have Dazzler around? Well, that and
1: also Dazzler... uh, Dazzler was intended to be the Cyclops stand-in for the Outback era. Right. She's the person who shoots lasers. Yes, Like, that's her thing.
0: So now you have Cyclops back and Jubilee's doing fireworks. Why do we have Dazzler? Yeah. You know? Ben writes, hello, Connor, esteemed guest, long-time listener, first-time writer. I had to finally get off my ass and send in a question when I said that Longshot was going to be the character of the week, and it's his fault that I'm an X-Fan. Much like you, Connor, I got into the X-Men originally because I had a family member who was a collector. One of my earliest memories is rifling through my uncle's collection of floppies and discovering first the Longshot miniseries, then the original run of X-Factor, and then the Mutant Massacre, which launched me into Uncanny itself. I know that's a wild and backwards way to end up reading these characters, but so it goes. But that's, like I said, I think I read Longshot in Inferno before I ever read him in Uncanny. Like, That was very normal back in the day when you just got comics in whatever order you got your hands on them. On to my questions. First, much like Gambit, I feel that Longshot's the perfect example of a character that's every little boy's fantasy. He flips, he throws weapons, his eyes glow, he's got a snazzy jacket, and he's just super rad. Also, like Gambit, he's a character that's at his best when he's being written by women. And I'm curious as to why you think that might be. The original miniseries remains his best story, in my opinion. Is it just that Anne Nesenti understands him better than anyone since? Or is there something inherent to these overpowered, charming swashbuckler style characters that leans too wish fulfillment to the hands of a man? Here's what I really think it is. It's Peter David's long shot versus the other ones. Mm -hmm. The Lady Killer character comes across sleazy when written by a lot of men. It's not universal, but a lot of the time it just comes across ick. Claremont's Gambit was supposed to give you the ick because he was going to turn out to be a villain. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because if you go like the Claremont mini that just came out, the Gambit mini that came out this year, which I quite liked, it was insane Claremont nonsense, but I really, he's having so much fun (laughs) with these historical minis and I hope they let him write like 50 of them. Pick one issue of your run and set a whole mini series between pages. Like do it, go for it. And this was one of those. Gambit in that is a lot more likable than Gambit is in the early Claremont Gambit stories because at this point, Claremont knows Gambit's not evil. You know, it's like a retroactive recharacterization. But I agree that women are generally better at writing Gambit. Like I would put Marjorie Lou's Gambit and Teeny's Gambit ahead of most Gambits I've ever read. Yeah. And I think that similarly, Longshot, really sings when Annie writes him in a way that he can sometimes not work. However, I would say like Longshot Saves the Marvel Universe is delightful. Claremont's time with him is delightful.
1: There is a thing where women understand how to write a male character who is charming without crossing boundaries. Right. And a lot of the time, even when men are well-meaning, they miss that part and they have these characters crossing boundaries because they don't understand intrinsically.
0: Particularly these characters who are supposed to be female fantasies. Yes. Like Gambit and Longshot are specifically supposed to be romance heroes who appeal to women. Mm -hmm. So women tend to be better at writing them because they know what appeals to women whereas men Mm -hmm. are guessing at what appeals to women a lot of the time so you know and i think that with claremont it's impossible to understate how important it is that simonson and then nesenti edited an enormous amount of that run i think that having women in the room and the fact that a lot of claremont's iconic period on the x-men is something of a brain trust of him and these two women Is something that sings in a lot of the work. And that's not to diminish Claremont as a writer or an auteur or anything, but he was asking these two women their opinions on everything he wrote. And that alone is going to go a long way, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Second question. One of the things I've always loved about Longshot is how unabashedly nice he is. Sure, it's often played for laughs and combined with his consistent naivete, you can easily describe him as the paragon example of head-empty vibes only. But especially <laughs> as a young kid on the spectrum, I really empathize with this character who had a hard time getting it in social situations, but nevertheless always just wanted the best for everyone. Do you think Longshot works better as a character when he's being a himbo? Peter David's X-Factor version feels like this to me. Or when he's cast more in the earnestly trying but out of his depth mode. This feels like what happens in the 80s Outback era. See, for me, the Peter David version feels like he has too many sinister intentions, and that's why I don't like him. He feels too manipulative in a way that the character doesn't typically feel to me, and that's what turns me off about that interpretation of the character. I think that Longshot's power in particular... You know, it's interesting. The other Luck characters are all women. Yeah. Domino, Roulette, Iska even. Black Cat. Black Cat is the one I was going to point to next. Yeah. There's something about a man shifting probability in his favor. This is why that page that we talked about earlier was so controversial. That can feel really predatory. Mm Mm-hmm. You have to be careful with that. And I think that most of the time, Longshot avoids feeling that way because he is so fundamentally benevolent. And that's why his Mm -hmm. behavior in Inferno, while it is sexy, like you get why Allie's turned on by him, but it's disturbing to see him behave that way because it's him behaving like a lady killer in that way that we do not expect the character to be. It's why Gambit's charm power is something they have completely thrown out at this point. Remember that? Yep. Like Gambit used to have a textual power to make women do whatever he wanted, and that's just something we don't talk about anymore because it's rapey and weird. So no, thank you. And again, that's something that comes out of the fact that he was originally supposed to be a villainous character.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a there's a, a a thing if you if you look around online if you Google it there's a uh, there's like the concept of the himbo triad which is <laughs> that a himbo character has to be strong, uh, stupid and kind buff stupid and nice yes
0: i actually don't think of longshot as a himbo in fact no. in the himbo taxonomy that Allison and Senegal and i did in the havoc episode we specifically say we use him and namor as examples of two characters who are not himbos yeah because namor is not nice and longshot is not buff yes his androgyny and feminine qualities disqualify him from the himbo category in the same way that a really buff woman is not a bimbo because those words, that aesthetic is about a hyper-masculine or hyper-feminine aesthetic visually also which is like i mean there there's no great it's not like you won you qualify as a himbo or a bimbo it's just that i right. do think that those terms are kind of specific and i think that he's he adjacent not but he's not quite one himself right yeah The ultimate ex-himbo was Colossus until Colossus turned mean in the 90s and then has never really recovered as a character. I think the two things that have really negatively impacted Colossus are the death of communism in Russia and the fact that in the 90s they turned him into a really bitter, nasty character and you can't quite snap him back from it. I'm actually, that's part of why I'm so interested to see wherever Ben Percy is ultimately taking this plot because Colossus murdering his girlfriend and burying her in the Savage Land is about as dramatic a, this guy's not great to women, huh? Like maybe we need to unpack this. Like even if it's because the writer made him do it, yeah, much like Longshot, The Colossus plot that's going on right now is a really interesting meta approach that Ben Percy is taking to narrative because the villain or agent of the villain, Mikhail's servant, the chronicler here, is a novelist or a comics writer writing Colossus into scenarios and they have to be plausible as turns the character could take, but he's still the one deciding to take it in a violent misogynist direction. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's not who Colossus really is, but it's how he's been written and that's anyway this is not a Colossus episode but the Colossus was episode 4 and I haven't it was before that whole plot
1: I like where you're going with it and yeah I have a lot of thoughts but this is not the place for where- it. Because
0: I love Colossus, but like 90s Colossus is repugnant. So it's hard to, it's just hard to let that go completely, you know? Anyway, I know you have lots of feelings of like Colossus. We could offline those. But <laughs> going back to the Outback stories, I'm reminded of how much I loved him, you know? And it's just like, and even going back to the stuff with Kitty, which is so inappropriate, you read the stuff where he's like, I think this is inappropriate and we need to stop <laughs> doing this. And you're like, okay, not perfect behavior, but you're also kind of stupid. And you feel figured it out yeah. you know like but then it just it really goes awry
1: the quintessential colossus himbo moment for me is when he tries to get back to drawing during the outback era and so he takes a sketch bag out rogue shows up colossus is drawing like he's drawing with a sketch pad in the outback and the sketch pad catches on fire because he's stuck in his metal form and he somehow <laughs> yes. thinks that he can sit in the sun reflecting sunlight right and he and sets draw. the
0: paper on fire it's so good <laughs> to me, the other one is when he's painting Betsy, who's Mm -hmm. nude in her bed with, like, her sheets pulled up over her tits. And he's like, thank you for posing for me, Elizabeth. And it's just, like, so clear that there is nothing untoward happening here whatsoever. He's just like, you're a supermodel. Would you like to pose for a nude? I'm trying to get back into paintings. She's like, yes, absolutely. Just give it to me when it's done. And there's nothing creepy about this. He's just like, Mm -hmm. I am an artist. And she's just like, you are. And you know what? I don't (laughs) mind sitting naked and staring at you for a few hours. So, like, it's fine Third and final question. Later wreck comes about Longshot's relationship to the MojiVerse and the rebellion he leads there at new levels of tragedy and inevitability to his story. He's basically a hamster caught on a wheel with no way out, doomed to always lose. You see a way out of this internal and meta-narrative trap for him? Can Longshot ever be happy, grow, and change? Or is he doomed to live, die, repeat for our amusement and the amusement of the Mojiverse? Because in both our world and theirs, he's fictional. Thanks so much, Connor, for everything you do. This podcast continues to be the highlight of my week. All the best, Ben. To so identify the themes that we talked about earlier, I would say that what I hope is I don't want him to have his memories wiped again. I think that that is a device we could stop using because Mm -hmm. i do think that the character needs to have the ability to grow so like even if he's been wiped again in that incoming cameo where we see that he's once again working with mojo or whatever let that be the last time
1: yeah i think that there's interesting ways to play with it memory loss is a side effect of various traumatic conditions Mm -hmm. and i think that you could play with that because he certainly has been through some trauma
0: and he usually recovers his memories through again like finding the people he loves again and remembering the good things that are different from trauma i think that there's a big long shot story you could tell with him and shatterstar and dazzler and spiral that could unlock a lot of this stuff in a way that would Mm -hmm. be really cool And that's all I'll say about that, because guess what? I've got a pitch, too. Like, yeah, yeah, we're not giving giving it away for free. Right. No, exactly. Marvel, you know how to reach both of us. (laughs) Brev Tanner writes, Dear Connor and Guest, I hope I'm not too late because then it'll be a long shot wink to get this read, but here it goes as a kid <laughs> Longshot was my favorite X-Man period I loved how he looked his powers his naivete how the ladies adored him his little throwing knives all of it when he left the X-Men I was devastated I wanted him back so badly I saw him in every new character because he was picking up pieces of himself there at the end I swore Cable was really Longshot but an older wiser version of him with cybernetic replacements for the body parts lost and he had the glowing eye thing and then when Gambit showed up I was sure he was just a darker version of our missing master of luck again with the glowing eyes and this time throwing darts I held on to that belief for a long Time. Too long, in fact. So, I'm a fan. The original Limit series is a masterpiece in comics, is required reading, as far as I'm concerned. Your spiral episode tuned me into aspects of Longshot I never picked up on as a kid. That he's constantly mind wiped, that he always fails, etc. My questions are one, why do you think Longshot had to leave the team thematically? Was it because his happy go lucky nature was about to be a stark contrast to the X Men were heading, despite the fact that Longshot had been through Fall of the Mutants and Inferno, or had Claremont run out of things to do with him? Again, I think it's just that Annie Nesenti was going to do a story with him that then got cancelled, unfortunately. Yep. Yep, And again, that Bob Harris didn't like him. Yep. Two, given who he is, how do you feel about Longshot being the un- ultimate protagonist for almost any adventure story you need? He's an everyman with a pair of good hearts. He has two hearts, right? That and hollow bones, if I remember correctly, and is likable and can be plugged into almost any situation where a writer needs success. If so, why isn't he used more? Sorry, this is so long, teehee, but it's something I've thought about a lot with Longshot and wonder But you and your guests think about it. Thank you, as always. Brev. I think he isn't used more because if you use him, you have to explain Mojo World, A lot of writers do not like going to Mojo World because there are not a lot of great Mojo World stories because it is very easy to get trapped in Mojo World and explaining Mojo World, and Mm -hmm. it's tough. It's like limbo that way. There are not that many great limbo stories. Yep. Because it's easy to get bogged down in the setting and lose, like, the thrust of the characters in the story. But I think it's also that Gambit ate his lunch.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Calling out Gambit's uh, glowing eyes is an interesting thing because those are a a visual hint as to Gambit's lineage and history. They're just not the visual hint that you think they are.
0: Right. They're a visual hint to the fact that his mother is Amanda Mueller, the Black Womb of the Summers line. Uh And he's also secretly created by Mr. Sinister, who has the red glowing diamond and whatnot.
1: He was meant to be the third Summers brother originally.
0: Well, mm, that's not what Fabian says. But I think the fact that fans immediately jumped on that made Fabian find another way to make him related to the Summers line in the Gambit solo. But he definitely was always supposed to be sinister. I mean, to Claremont, he yeah. was sinister. The red eyes of the devil were supposed to be like, who else has like red weird shit going on, you know?
1: Well, it was also um, his eyes activate his power like Cyclops. mm mm-hmm.
0: And he's an energy manipulator, like Cyclops and yeah. Havoc.
1: And Sinister's obsessed with Cyclops' DNA.
0: Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, Sinister used the Summer's DNA somehow. My hobby, Horace, as I will be explaining shortly in the first episode of Worrying About It on the Patreon, is that the clear intention is that Gambit is Amanda Mueller's biological child, which would make him Scott's great-great-great-uncle or something, technically. But don't worry too much about it. She's immortal. Uh <laughs> But you know, all of that is something that's only canon when it gets uh, when it gets. But basically, to go back, the reason Longshot's not used more is because Gambit and Nightcrawler are more famous and do the similar Swashbuckly thing, and are from the '90s when X Men was at its peak. And there are very few stories that anyone is going to pitch for like X Men Caper, where they're going to say, and also let's make sure we use Longshot in the Mojo Verse because it just adds this layer of complication that is a lot easier to do with someone like gambit or nightcrawler you can do gambit without talking about the thieves guild in a way that you can't really do long shot without talking about mojo world mm-hmm. so i think that that's tricky
1: yeah most most people won't do that and uh you know connor and i will so again Margaret, yeah so you know
0: right. <laughs> Micah writes, greetings to you and your amazing guests for an episode on a weird character that I love for some dumb reason. I was always drawn to weirder left of center oddballs and Longshot is no exception. By the time I started collecting again in the 90s, he was long gone, but he would pop up in references to the 80s runs and in back issues I'd pick up. Since he wasn't getting the push like the characters from the cartoons, I guess he intrigued me to seek him out, which led to my love of Dazzler, Mojo, Mojo World, all the way down to Minor Domo, who I last saw in a pinup for the 10 worst enemies of the X-Men backup in Adjectiveless Annual Number 1, looking more menacing than she ever really was. Anyway, enough about my love. On to some questions. One, do you think the constant mind-wipes are why he just doesn't land with readers not familiar with him? If he has no connection to his past stories or people in his life, would that stop a new reader from wanting to read his past adventures? Yes. And that's why I'm saying stop mm-hmm. hitting that button because yes. he needs to have character continuity for readers to be invested in care. Two, do you like him being a clueless idiot or more in the know than he lets on? In X-Factor Investigations, D- Peter David switches from dummy like the Vegas arc or seemingly trying to keep Richter and Shatterstar in the dark as to their connections. Both feel off to me sometimes. I agree. And I don't like when he has mm-hmm. manipulative intent. I don't think that that's true to the character. Three, any desire to see an Outback era reunion? A lot of X-Men podcasts or YouTubers seem to love that era because of being correct. (laughs) To me, seeing those team members together after all this time would be a delight. As always, thank you for an amazing podcast. And until Ryan West writes in and asks you to say three nice things about Firestar, make mine Cerebro. That's very funny. Ryan, if you're listening, you better write in with that question when I do do the Firestar episode, because I will try my best. Um, It will probably be a little easier than it was with Magma, if I'm being perfectly honest.
1: She has a cute mask.
0: Not anymore.
1: Well, she had a cute mask at one point.
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, I like what Jerry's doing with her, so I'm sure I'll have nice (laughs) things to say by whenever I do that episode. In terms of an Outbacker reunion, it was really nice to see Rogue and Betsy in Excalibur together drawing on that, particularly now that Betsy is like herself again, Mm -hmm. to have Rogue be like, Betsy and I go way, way fucking back, because they do. And I would love to see a story with Storm and Rogue and Betsy and Dazzler again, like an homage to that Ladies' Night mall Mm -hmm. issue. I think that would be really fun for like a one shot or like an unlimited story or something. Obviously, they're all very busy now, except for Dazzler, which is why she's hanging out with people 10 years younger than her, which is like, I think, part of the (laughs) point of Exterminators. No, but I think that that's like, you know, she's like, it's like, oh, honey, where are your like friends your own age? Why are you out with these 25 year olds like you need to go home, grandma And I say that Mm -hmm. as someone who's about to turn 35 myself. I would love to see that. But here's one thing that's fun to point out. At the time, the Outback era was despised. Oh, yeah. Looking back now, yes, it is an era that people see as a high point or the high point to many people, including me, of the Uncanny X-Men Claremont run. But at the time... People freaked out about it. The way that they freaked out about Krakoa. Yeah, they hated it. It was a new status quo. Why are we in Australia? Why aren't we at the school? Who are all these characters? And it happened before the Outback era itself because Claremont writes it into Fall of the Mutants. There are those little boys who tease Colossus when he's drawing the X-Men. Oh, that's not the X-Men. They're just a bunch of girls now because that was like the fact that Cyclops and all those characters weren't in it was like a huge Mm -hmm. point of contention with fans. So the point is, and this is something that, I hope can maybe like rattle around a little bit more in the heads of fans is that what we think right now about any comic coming out does not matter for shit. What matters is what people will think 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now. Mm-hmm. I think the best stories are the ones that writers are writing without worrying about what X Men fan 25 on Twitter thinks.
1: Yep. Continuity is a tool, not a crutch.
0: And if that frustrates you, get over it Mm -hmm. because someday someone will be writing into an x-men podcast in 2050 assuming the human race has survived or whatever you never know anymore but i'm just saying theoretically there will be some kid writing into a podcast by someone who is not even born yet talking about how great the comics that came out this year are yeah and just keep that in mind that's all
1: A great example of that is, like, 90s comics have been historically widely derided among, like, our cohort, like, people our age.
0: Yeah. We called it the Dark Age, the Iron Age. We called it all those things.
1: Yeah. But there are people now in the critical sphere and in the fan spheres who grew up with those comics. Yeah. Who grew up with, like, I have friends who grew up reading 90s X-Force and who love it.
0: And here's the thing. When I went back and read 90s X-Force... With the benefit of a little remove from it. Mm-hmm. I think Nisies' ex is great. Yeah. It's not for me. It's not a book for yeah. me. But is yeah. it well done? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. There's really interesting stuff that goes on in there.
0: It does exactly what it sets out to do. And there's very interesting stuff in it. Yeah. So, you know.
1: Every era is hated by people in its time and then beloved by people later.
0: Exactly. And listen to all of the people talking about Annie Nasenti this episode. Annie Nascenti's in her 60s now. I said this in the Spiral episode, too. Comics bros will finally say that Annie Nascenti's a genius, that Annie Nascenti was a legendary writer or whatever. They were not so kind in the 80s. They were not so kind in the 90s. They were not so kind in 2010 when she did a brief run on like Green Arrow and Catwoman or something in the New 52. Time is the great equalizer in some ways, but in other ways, it helps when you look back and realize that your personal preferences are not what make a story good or bad. Mm-hmm. Not something that is worth thinking about. Freddie Waller writes, Hi there, Connor an esteemed guest. First time questioner, long time Twitter nuisance. First of all, mandatory thank you for all you do and for creating a uniting fan medium, which has not only given me a queer comics outlet, but also filled in the gaps of my knowledge due to coming to Marvel Comics via UK Panini collected editions in the very last issues of Morrison and Extreme. Oh my God. Wow. Imagine starting with Here Comes Tomorrow. That's really funny. Your point of view and knowledge is matched only by your contagious passion for these characters and joy in gaying out over the hunks, queens, and quarrels of Krakoa. Insert you saying, well, thank you. That's very sweet. And I take a shot. Oh, you got me because I was about to say it. I first met Longshot while reading X-Factor Investigations, which I'd picked up because I was told it had gay kissing, and then discovered this golden streaming star of mullets, glitter, and knives. What a who he was in contrast with somewhat graphic and problematic stories? My questions about Longshot are threefold. One, as evidence in Peter David's finale story of Longshot's star and Dazzler's confused origins, and the later limited series Longshot Saves the Marvel Universe, heavy on the quantum science and Marvel Cosmic, do you think there's a deliberate irony in giving overly complex galaxy brain stories to someone who is without a doubt the biggest himbo in the entirety of the Marvel Universe? Again, I would say he's a ditz, but not a himbo. Nope. Here's what I'll say. Yes, and that's part of what's fun. Like making shot stories more complicated than longshot can understand has been part of the joy of longshot since the original miniseries. Yep. But that's also why, as Annie did point out, it was Mojo and Spiral that people really latched onto because they understand what's going on. And there's something fun about that, too.
1: Yeah. Longshot's whole deal is that he's just a guy. He's always in things that are bigger than
0: him. Mm-hmm. Until Bobby Drake's celebrity cameos as yet another white hunk in the newest American horror story, American Horror Story Genosha, make mine Cerebro. Sunita Squidward on Twitter, ThemboX on Discord, they them. I'm from Essex in the UK, but no need for an accent because I don't have one. Okay. Well, I'm glad I didn't try then because Essex is hard also. Towie voices. It is very (laughs) funny to me still that Betsy and Brian are from Essex. I know that they have like an RP public school for Americans, that's private school here, accent, but it is funny to think of them just existing in Essex and having a very posh accent and everyone around them in Essex just being like, God, I hate them, (laughs) which explains a lot about them really. I'm going to read two together because they're related. Roscoe Gorse writes, Dear Connor and esteemed Nola, I'm English if you want to do an accent. First, all, I just want to say that the pod has clearly had a pretty profound effect on me since last time I wrote in. I was a guy and now I am most certainly not. <laughs> and so Longshot felt like a fitting character to write in about, given that he is very gender. Yep. Though I'm certain this will be covered in the episode, my question is not say about Longshot's love life. Most of his plots in the Outback era focus on the love triangle between him, Dazzler, and Rogue, in which Rogue seems to develop feelings for Longshot, mostly just to spite Allison. So my question is, since his relationships have been such an integral part of the character, who would be your choice for Longshot's next lover, or just the wildest choice you can think of? Sorry for the long question, Roscoe.
1: I don't think he needs a next lover at this point.
0: Yeah, no, I think you, you figure out him and Dazzler would work for me, but also... I wouldn't mind seeing the story that untangles him and Rita and Spiral and all of that. Mm -hmm. I think that that's never really been tapped and there's a lot there.
1: Yeah. Spiral is one of those characters who's so interesting to me because there's so much of her story that's wrapped up in being caught up in long shots Mm -hmm. and she never really gets to redress that.
0: Even in Uncanny X Force by Sam Humphries, when Spiral gets to be kind of a protagonist for the first time, mm-hmm. it's about her relationship with Betsy, and that stuff's good. And that's the other character who she's constantly orbiting. So it made sense to address that in a X Force book since Psylocke was like the star of X Force for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I would love to see her and Longshot suss out. So now that she remembers being Rita, yes, they have a lot they could talk about. Once Humphrey's established that she knows she was Rita, she knows Saxophone was her dog, who she helped Mojo kill as Spiral. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff you could do there. And yep. again, I'm not it's all Not going to spoil the details, yeah.
1: but give us a call.
0: Wilson Hayworth writes, Greetings, Connor and esteemed guests. Looking forward to hearing about Longshot. The Longshot Mini was the second X-book I ever read. Why I jumped from the Morrison run to that book, I will never understand. Anyway, in the spirit of the Mojoverse, I have a question about fashion and time travel. I've heard it said that Longshot's the patient zero for the superhero fashion of the 90s. One glowing eye, pouches, knives, etc. If you could go back in time and add one thing to Longshot's look, thereby altering the fashion of 90s comics, what would you add? Personally, I think I would add... French Rococo style ruffles, but that's just me. Anyway, thanks so much for this show. It's helped keep me sane while wedding planning. With any luck, this episode should be a good plain listen for the honeymoon. Thanks, Wilson. Well, Mazel Tov on the wedding. That's a hilarious question. You know what I would do? I would go back and add those Silvestri slash Jim Lee boots, like the thigh-high boots that all the women got, but I would put them on long shot.
1: Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then all of the Absolutely. men of the 90s should be wearing like thigh-highs, like Fuck me, boots. That would be iconic. Sinister is
1: cargo thighs.
0: Oh my God. Yeah, they'd have to have <laughs> pouches. <laughs> Michael Apgar writes, Hello, Connor and Nola. Connor, I can't thank you enough for all the work you put into this podcast. Knowing there's a community of amazing people to discuss X-Men with has really reawakened an adolescent love I let go dormant. Also, Nola, so psyched to see you're back on the podcast. Loved the Destiny episode and can't wait to hear what you have to say about everyone's favorite 80s kid. My question is actually inspired by the villainous Ultimate version of Longshot. For whatever the Ultimate universe was, I think Longshot's powers actually made him a pretty fun antagonist, a perpetual thorn in the side who always managed to catch a lucky break. Now, I don't see our Longshot doing a heel turn anytime soon, but maybe he could find himself a new rival? Outside of Mojo, who should long-shot form of rivalry with friendly or otherwise thank you both so much michael i mean that's why iska the unbeaten is scary right like it is a power Mm -hmm. that's scary in the hands of a bad actor as it were domino at her most like morally ambiguous is also scary for the same reason she's pretty firmly heroic at this point though so it's not really the same thing i mean honestly i love roulette Let's give Roulette a moment. She's back on Krakoa, and she's really funny. She's about to, I mean, by the time you hear this even, she will have appeared in um, Steve Fox's X-Men Annual about Firestar. So maybe we're going to get a roulette We can only hope. As far as
1: rivalries for Longshot Go, I would like to see... Like, I think that he and Gambit would just get on each other's nerves in a really funny way.
0: Absolutely. Yes, and it'd be hilarious.
1: I would love to see Longshot show up and just, like, hang out with Rogue because they're friends going back. Yeah! And, like, I I would love Gambit to feel, like, a way
0: about it. He's also maybe the first boy she ever did hand stuff with over the unitards. So, like, Gambit (laughs) might feel a type of way about it. It'd be fun. Yeah. (laughs) My thought also is that, like, I think a new character who comes out of the mojoverse or even out of like earth but has an obsession like basically a tiktok gen z type i could see the way that punchline at dc is like a really nasty modern character i think that mm-hmm. a really nasty modern character born of like social media could be a really interesting character to throw up against long shots like are there orcas teens doing tiktoks like that you know like that (laughs) that kind of alt-right thing i think would be fun to pit long shot against
1: it's a shame that they've already done the the sinister making himself a mutant thing because i i wouldn't want to repeat that but i love the idea of a new more modern mojo showing up in (laughs) kokoa and just being obnoxious
0: yeah i mean I think you can do that with like them having seized the Mojo Verse. You can have like mm-hmm. Mojo in the story. I just, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that something that brings like the way that Leo is playing with streaming culture and stuff. I just think that mm-hmm. that's where you take it now. Is like, and if, especially yeah. if you have Longshot be like, oh, I don't understand all this new technology. Like that would be funny. Yes. So you could do you could do fun stuff with it. Like have him be a young baby boomer, old Gen X kind of character faced with Gen Z and like baffled by their new form of super would be very funny. Last question. D. neris writes, Hello, Connor and Nola. Perhaps because my avenue into X-Men was through Anne Ascenti's run on Daredevil, I have a deep and abiding affection for Longshot and his tenure on the X-Men. Alongside Warlock Brian, Amanda Sefton, and a few others, Birdbrain Nest, Rise Up, Longshot represents the niche <laughs> X-Men archetype of the non-mutant, super-powered member of the team. As a bisexual, biracial person myself, I'm often able to draw parallels between my experiences and the experiences of others from either overlapping or distinctly different backgrounds than my own. I see myself in character like longshot or warlock for that reason. Do you find this archetype interesting, appealing, or otherwise useful? It feels different, though not necessarily separate from allyship, but I'm curious to get your perspective on this best decisneras he him. I think it is essential to the Claremont vibe to always have at least one character in the book, yes, who is not a mutant.
1: Yes, in the way that we read a lot of X-Men as queer storytelling, subtextual queer storytelling. There needs to be room in queer groups for people who are on the queer spectrum, but not necessarily identified in a traditional way, because that is what queerness is about. And that is what, like that acceptance is what queerness is about.
0: I would say also that like, I mean, retroactively Moira is a mutant, right? But Mm -hmm. if you go back to the classic Moira storytelling where the point is that she's human, ever since Claremont's first issue on the book, there has always been a regular or semi-regular cast member who is a human ally of the X-Men, whether it's Moira or Stevie Hunter or Amanda Sefton or Candy Southern or Madeline Pryor. It is always something that is in the book. Yukio. Tiger Tiger. Yeah. Mariko Yoshida.
1: They have to be connected.
0: Charlotte Jones. They have to be connected in some intimate way to the cast. Yeah. Warlock and Longshot are slightly different because what they represent, it's what you're saying about how as a biracial bisexual person, you identify with other minorities at times. What Warlock and Longshot represent now, long shot, again, he might have an X gene, so it's complicated. But what they theoretically represent and what they represented when they were introduced is a minority group looking at another minority group and saying, I see you and I identify with you and we belong together. It's a solidarity gesture to say, he's like a mutant of the technarchy or he's like a mutant of the mojo verse. is not to say you're exactly the same as us. It's to say we are together in a shared struggle against yeah. systems of power that seek to harm and oppress us. And that I think is very powerful. So yeah, I think it's essential to the X-Men. I think characters like this are essential and I would love to see it continue. I think it's great that Nova is hanging out in X-Men Red and that the Iraqi were like, you're of Iraqo, you fought with us. Because that's what it is at the end of the day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Nola, do you have anything else you'd like to say about Longshot before we wrap up? I
1: have... So many things I'd like to say about Longshot, but again, I am holding those until Marvel (laughs) hires me.
0: Well, Marvel, you heard it here first. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can follow you online and plug anything you want to plug?
1: Yeah. uh, So obviously you can uh, find my writing at womenwriteaboutcomics.com, the website that I am the editor-in-chief of. Please come back on Patreon. Help us keep continue doing what we do. You can find me on social media just about everywhere at nolafau, N-O-L-A-P-F-A-U. I have very deliberately kept that on everything. So if you <laughs> search, you'll find. Me. And yeah, that's where I am.
0: Well, thank you again for being my guest. This was super fun. I am excited to see you again on the con circuit next year, hopefully. Yeah. We'll be we'll be in touch. You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at CerebroCast. You can follow me on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith or on Twitter at Dream of Organon, but quite honestly guys I'm not trying to use Twitter that much these days you can find all of the episodes plus links to the discord the merch store and much much more at cerebrocast.com the official landing page for the podcast for five dollars a month at the house of Zaladine tier at patreon.com slash cerebrocast you can get exclusive access to the secret files bonus episodes including the upcoming series worrying about it and the weekly mostly weekly I'm doing my best but it's going to be much more weekly in 2023 I promise Claremont read-along marathon which I'm having a lot of fun doing. This Patreon is what keeps this show going. It is what keeps me in rent payments at this point these days. This has become (laughs) a really major part of my livelihood. And so if you love what I do, I would really appreciate it if you kicked in on the Patreon. It's just $5 a month. Next week's episode will feature artist and writer Jason Lowe on Jubilee. Then writer Josh Trujillo, currently on Blue Beetle Graduation Day at DC and the Wiccan and Hulkling romance comic on the Marvel Unlimited app joins me to talk about Forge. Questions are closed for those episodes, but are still open for Stephen Adewell on Sebastian Shaw, Holly Raymond on Jamie Braddock, and Chuck Austin on Nurse Annie Gazakanian. I will be announcing episode one hundred next week, so tune in and don't miss it. It's not some of the crazy things people have been suggesting. I I can tell you for free, it's not Chris Claremont, but I think it's going to be a fun one that people will be excited about. So. I don't like to announce things too far in advance because then the question inbox just becomes fully insane. But soon you will know episode 100, the season three finale. Merry Christmas, whatever you got going on. Festive solstice to you. Thank you again for listening. Thank you as always for your support. And until next time, everybody, bye. Bye. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, people mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. only hope is